now. Introducing two men who were so lost without sports last night that they actually found time to cook, clean, and listen to their significant others, a combination they say was, quote, the closest thing to psychological warfare we've experienced in our time on this planet, unquote. Following the release of Kanye West's most recent album, they embarked on their tried-and-true tradition they've followed whenever a new body of work is released by the self-proclaimed genius in the past eight years, which mainly includes never listening to the album. They are not Glenn Clark. Indeed, good morning. It is Glenn Clark Radio, or Glenn Clarkless Radio, as I like to call it when Glenn is uh, not in studio. Uh, this actually will be the final Glenn Clarkless Radio for the foreseeable future. I think he's used the entirety of his vacation days for the rest of his time at PressBox, so he will no longer have any days off moving forward. Uh, I'm Kyle Ottenheimer. Sitting across from me is Paul Valley. You know him as the host of the Bat Around on Saturdays from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio at Pressbox. Good morning, Paul. How's it going? Good morning, man. I'm doing well. How are you? I can't complain. Can't complain. It's Friday. That's a lovely thing. Uh, we got a fun show ahead of us. Young Jack is here. Intern Jack. We'll do two Utes later on today. Uh, we have some baseball talk coming up, as I know Paul's specialty is baseball, and that's the only sport going on that we care about currently, but we'll still talk Ravens because that's around the corner, so we'll talk a little bit of that as well. But 10.20, we'll be joined by Baseball America Executive Editor J.J. Cooper to give a little bit of a, I don't know, a recap of the Orioles draft, but I'm going to be honest, I... I booked him because I wanted to kind of get to the bottom or at least get an expert opinion on exactly how it is the Orioles are allocating their bonus pool. Um, I'm not a genius. I'm not even that smart. Uh, but I can tell when numbers are lower than the slot values, and it seems like every pick the Orioles have announced as far as signings are concerned have come in under slot. Um, that is combined with the fact that there aren't exactly very many players unsigned who would be obvious over-slot candidates. So maybe I want to talk myself off the conspiracy theorist ledge and be reassured that what it is the Orioles are doing is not just uh, frugal. So we'll talk to J.J. Cooper a little bit about that. I know he was high on some of the players the Orioles drafted, in particular Reed Trimble. I think he was one of the guys who maybe was highest on Trimble, uh, and Trimble was one of the guys people expected to sign over slot, yet he still came in a couple hundred thousand, maybe 125,000 under. So he'll join us at 10.20 to talk about all of that. At 11, uh, one of the Orioles' top prospects, a previous over slot signing, and recent Aberdeen Ironbirds promotee, uh, Hudson Haskin joins the show. Look forward to talking with him. He's uh, an enticing guy. He's Got an interesting swing, but it doesn't stop him from putting the bat on the ball and, and doing some impressive things at the plate. Also, he's a good fielder as well. Uh, excited to chat with him at 11, and then at 11.30, the aforementioned Ravens discussion with Baltimore Suns Ravens beat writer Jonas Schaefer as training camp is now, I believe, five days away, just around the corner. So football season is almost back, which is exciting. We like that in Baltimore and across the country, but... uh. All to come on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia, and we are just two days away. This Sunday, July 25th, you can celebrate the return to training camp with a crab feast featuring Baltimore edge rusher Tyus Bowser at Jimmy's Famous Seafruit. 
uh, seafood, excuse seafood. me. Yeah, seafood. Your $108 VIP ticket gets you the Crab Feast with Maryland steamed crabs, a buffet of Jimmy's Seafood favorites, an open bar, and your VIP meet and greet and autograph opportunity with Tyus Bowser. The event benefits Casey Cares and cannot be missed, so get your tickets now by going to great8smemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, great8smemorabilia.com. We have some baseball talk ahead of us, Paul. I know that that is your forte. And now that we, we spoke with you, I believe it was after the first round when they picked Kowser. That, that Monday, yeah. Right. So it was not exactly the entirety of the draft as far as reaction is concerned. Haven't had the chance to talk to you since then. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on the Orioles draft, the players they selected, and, you know, as we will be discussing with J.J. Cooper, um, maybe the lack of prep talent in the overall selections? Well, as we talked about that Monday, uh, the Orioles aren't really known for going after that prep talent in in the draft, at least under this regime. I mean, you look at their first-round draft picks, it's um, Adley Rutschman and then um, Heston Kerstad and now Colton Kalzer. Uh, their second-round picks, Jordan Westberg. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these, are, these are all guys who are, with the exception of Gunnar Henderson, really. And there's, I mean, last year, 40% of their picks in a five-round draft were high schoolers. Carter Baumler, Kobe Mayo. It's not as if they don't. Right, but they don't make them their, their, their top picks. They aren't the bread and butter of their picks. Now, Kobe Mayo had that, had that home run the other day that we just saw that with that beautiful fast swing. He does have a really um, good-looking swing. It's a really good-looking swing. It's not to say that they stay away from the high school guys. It's just that they're more, more likely to go after the college guys, and they go with who they like on their border. At least that's what they tell us. Um, the draft, I said here on, on GCR um, – that I to keep an eye on uh, Connor Norby, and that's the guy who sure. they took in the second round pick. Great hit tool, totally Lim- limited defensively because he can't. He doesn't have a great arm, so he can only play second base. For what it's worth, we talked to his coach at ECU, and he, he was kind of talking up his arm and saying it's maybe better than people realize. And Norby himself talked about how he's kind of you know irked by people sort of pigeonholing him as a bat-only type prospect and that defensive versatility is something that he's prioritizing as far as his work is concerned because he does feel he's capable of playing more than just second. But yes, you're not wrong. Scouts tend to think that it is largely the bat that will drive his value. Well, right, and it's it's kind of like it's kind of the same profile that you saw from Ryan Mountcastle when he got drafted. It, it's he doesn't have the arm to stick at shortstop or third base. Um, to be fair, I don't think Mountcastle could have played second though. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that's that, that's true. I I, I was on um I, I want to say Freddie Callen's radio several years ago talking about Ryan Mountcastle, and he didn't think he could play second base either. Um, but it's the guy's going to be in the major leagues because of the bat first and foremost. Sure, and I. I like the pick. Some of the picks are head scratchers, like the, the college seniors in the fourth and fifth rounds. Uh, John Rhodes hit two fifty one this year because he was swinging for the fences mm-hmm. every time he came up. Um, but well, the uh, word is he was, you know, he had entered the season as a potential first round yeah, talent, right? Exactly. So th- it's not like the Orioles got bad players. A little surprising to see that they. It doesn't look like, as we were talking before the show, that they're going to spend all their money. I don't know where that's going to go, um, but. Drafts are such a crapshoot, man. Especially, no especially in the major leagues, in major league baseball. Excuse me. We're not going to know the fruits of this draft for totally. several years. It, it's hard to say right now. I like the, the the picks in the top half. What happens with the back half of the draft? They took nine right-handed college pitchers. Uh, a lot of them profiles would appear to be relief arms. Right. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I can say with certainty or even any half certainty 
that the Orioles pick the wrong guys. Right. I can't. Simply cannot. I don't know enough about them. I am not a baseball scout. I do defer to Mike Elias and company when it comes to their talent evaluation. That said, conventional wisdom as far as the draft is concerned is you are opting for perhaps lower ceiling players if you go the route that the Orioles did, right? The college players that are available on the board in rounds 11 through 20 are on the board for a reason. If they were thought of that highly, they would have been drafted in the first five rounds. Right. So it was perplexing when the Orioles took saving routes in rounds one, four, five, what ended up being rounds two as well with Norby and Trimble, and they didn't have anybody that was at least you put a star next to and said, okay, that's where that money's going to go. And so, you know, I see people across Twitter, like Cespedes Barbecue, an Orioles fan, of course, mm-hmm. um, brought up a similar question. Like, where, where's that money going? Because teams typically do spend. I mean, J.J. Cooper, who will join us in 10 minutes, had a tweet discussing how teams generally spend about 97 to 104%, which is, you might be like, how can they spend more, of their bonus pool allotment. And if you spend over 100%, that's essentially like a, you have a luxury tax, more or less, that you're paying, which some teams right. deem worthy of, of being worth it, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to be possible for the Orioles, considering of the first, I guess we've seen the actual deals announced for Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, Reed Trimble, um, Dante Williams... And I don't know if we've seen the value on Creed Willems, the only high school pick that they had. But of the four whose values we have seen, there's a cumulative roughly $1.75 million in saved money. Now, John Rhodes, the Kentucky sophomore who, as you mentioned, had some I mean, intrigue as far as talent was concerned entering the season and potentially some leverage to return back to college due to being a 20-year-old and only being eligible because the draft was in July, in theory, could command more than slot value, but you'd be hard-pressed to imagine he's going to get 500000 more than slot value or even like more than 250000 more than slot value. Guys who are drafted in the third round, that slot value is normally good enough to make them say, I'm going to play professional baseball. So... It's odd. It's odd. Um, well, in, in, in the case of John Rhodes, this is a guy, like you said, who was projected to be a first-round talent this year and then went out and just kind of fell flat on his face. No doubt. That, that's a guy who maybe he believes in his talent and says, I'm going to go back to college and make sure I am a first-round pick, and he could get an extra couple of million dollars by doing that. Definitely. He has some leverage. It would make sense for him to maybe play hardball as far as the number he could sign for because, in theory, he could stand to have a slot value that – is raised by millions, right? Like he could demand more if he were to come back. But even still, right, John Rhodes and John Rhodes alone wouldn't necessarily jump off the page as being, okay, here's where that money's going. Um, so it's we talked with Jim Callis, of course, from MLB Pipeline, uh, I guess earlier this week, and he did suggest that this could have been a similar situation to last year when the Orioles drafted Heston Kerstad with the hope that Nick Bitsko would be available with their second uh, first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Rays took Bitsko uh, around 27 or like so. 24. And 
Yeah. yeah. And he was not on the board. And it could have been a case where the guys they were targeting for overslot deals simply were not available. But it's it it's hard. I I don't want to be cynical about the Orioles process here and about what it is they're doing because understandably a rebuild is a long process that is going to have a lot of bumps in the road. Um but when fans and when we talk to former Miami Marlins executive David Sampson about how teams will sometimes say that they're rebuilding and it's an excuse to not spend money. So I didn't believe that would be the case. I, I walked in the day after the Colton Kowser pick and I said, guys, stop freaking out. They went under slot because they're going to spend that money more. If it turns out that they don't spend all of their bonus pool, um, then we can be upset. Then we can have, you know, take issue with how they approached this. That's what happened here. And so, like, I still find myself trying to, you know, calm my nerves about the entire thing and tell myself and remind myself again that I don't know what I'm talking about about these players. Genuinely, Mike Elias could have picked the best baseball players on the board and saved money. It's not mutually exclusive. It's just odd that it appears as though they are going to be spending maybe 90% or less than their overall allotment. And so I do want to talk with J.J. Cooper and try and see if I'm crazy or if this is, is reason for concern. And again, acknowledging, not mutually exclusive. They could have gotten the best baseball players and saved money. So in three years, this could be entirely moot. Well, and then you, you also have to look at it. The rumor was that the Orioles were looking to go with Judd Fabian with their with the 41st overall pick. The Red Sox took him a pick before mm-hmm. the, Ori- the Orioles picked. Um, another guy who kind of profiles like John Rhodes where he has a ton of power. Struck uh, out like a 30% clip last struck, year. Struck out a lot, did not have a great batting average because he got lost in trying to mm-hmm. hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, and, and that didn't work out. Now, it's also, do you want the Orioles to spend all that money just because you want to see that they're spending the money? Like, what if they give $1.2 million extra dollars to John Rhodes to ensure that he doesn't go back to school? Just as a hypothetical. You know what I mean? Do we care that they just spend the money? Or maybe the Orioles picked players that fit the their analytics-driven side of things. Again, they're, those are, they're not mutually exclusive, right? They have a model that they trust, and clearly it goes a long way in determining who they're going to select right um it's just if it you are towing a thin line between following your model and kind of negotiating against yourself Mm -hmm. in a way if you're saying we're drafting this guy because our model suggests he's better than everyone else thinks well you don't then turn around and pay him based on what your model would suggest, you should pay him on what the overall market value of that player is. So if, for example, Creed Willems, who we still have yet to see how much he signed for, is somebody that they are just in love with, it didn't seem like there were other scouts and analysts, as far as that community is concerned, who were saying Creed Willems is one of the top 20 high school players in this draft. So if they were to say we're going to give him five hundred thousand overslot because we love him, well, maybe he would have signed for two hundred and fifty 
over slot, right? And so are you just I don't know. I again, I don't know. I do not know. All I can say is it's odd. I on my very cursory understanding of how all of this works and as a guy who admittedly is infatuated with potential and high ceiling players you know I watch and monitor the draft and wait for each pick from the Orioles to be announced looking for the high school kids I'll admit it I am looking for the guys that because there's a slew of players who were drafted in the you know rounds 11 through 30 that take a lot of money to sign, who would have gone on to college and ended up being first-round picks, right? The way the MLE draft works is it's wonky like that. They can pry away players who are first-round talents just by paying more money. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys didn't come in rounds 11 through 20. It was odd. It was odd. And so I do I, – I just want to see if, if, I'm, if I'm right to feel this way – I texted briefly with Nick Valeris from 2080 Baseball after the, rap, the, the draft concluded to ask if, if this is, could this be viewed any other way than cheap from the Orioles? And he, he talked about how the players they drafted, some of them are pretty, like they like Trimble, they like Rhodes, but it, is, it does look odd, right? It does seem odd uh, the way that they approached it. And so, yeah, that's just kind of where I stand. Um, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot of talent in the Orioles system right now in the minor league levels. It's not as if it's a barren system whatsoever. And we talk about the timeline of the team and Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez come out, then the clock starts ticking for when they need to be competitive. So there's an argument to be made that the college players, the bullpen-esque arms taken rounds 11 through 20, they fit within that timeline, right? right? These figure to be faster moving guys and some high school players if they ever reach the majors normally take four to five years to do so so there's other sides of this discussion but I again when you talk about mutually exclusive I don't think it's mutually exclusive I think you can afford to take three players who are a little bit outside that timeline because you see that they are potentially very high level players down the line um well yeah you can you can, you also kind of have to realize that this is the same regime that has been burned by high school players in the past when they were when they when they were with the Houston Astros. You look at Brady Aiken and you look at Mark Appel, and those guys did not work out. Uh, one of them's not in baseball; the other's just making a comeback to baseball this year. Uh, this is a regime that took Carlos Correa and uh, Alex Bregman first and second overall, totally under slot in a situation where. They wanted to give. They wanted to get somebody they could give less money so they could make better picks later, which kind of feeds your point. But the fact of the matter is, this is a regime that has done this in the past with the Astros as well, going under slot for players. It ended up being MVP caliber players. Sure, right. You know, so it's. We won't. It, we won't know. We will not know until it's a total three years wait and from see. Now. Total, totally. Total and that's wait the MLB see, draft in general. But like the Pirates feel like they won the lottery right. when they get Henry Davis number one overall, turn around and get. Two of the more high upside high school guys in rounds two and three, right? It's easy for fans to feel like they left with three first round talents here. With the Orioles, it's not as obvious in the face of fans to say, look at us, we've added so many top prospects to our system now. So 
We are going to be joined by J.J. Cooper here in a second. Today's show is brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Joining us right now, he is the executive editor of Baseball America, J.J. Cooper, um, we've been discussing in the first 20 minutes of today's show um, what could be described as, I suppose, a perplexing approach by the Baltimore Orioles, and I'm having trouble figuring out exactly how they would end up spending um, close to all of their 11-plus million bonus pool. Can you talk me off the ledge, maybe, and tell me that I'm crazy and I should not be concerned about what appears to be somewhat of a spendthrift approach by the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I, I do think that they will spend at least very close to that number. Um, so let me try to walk it through here. Obviously, they don't have that many of these guys already signed. But Reed Trimble, who they took at 65 overall, is a draft-eligible sophomore. John Rhodes, who they took 76 overall, also a draft-eligible sophomore. That does mean that they have more leverage because if you're a junior, and again, it's a little crazier right now, but if you're a junior, college junior and you go back to school, sure. you've, a, you've erased your leverage mm-hmm. because you're going to be a senior. And at that point, you're lucky if you get pennies on the dollar because most seniors sign for very little amount of money. But on the same side, if you're a draft eligible sophomore, you can have a little bit of a higher price tag, much like a high school player, because if you say no, you come back next year as a draft-eligible junior. And so from that standpoint, those two guys have leverage. Creed Willems, I feel confident to say, if they sign him, will sign for significantly more than $187,000, which okay. is the slot allotment for his spot. So he was uh, known as a guy you know, who had a, a pretty high price tag asking price price tags on, but asking price going into the draft. So that would be another one. The other thing I will say, though, about all this is this is also the challenge of when you go under slot at the top, there is no guarantee that the players that you are targeting will still be there when you return. I do think I've heard a number of rumblings. I Look at who with the Boston took at pick 40. Yep. Judd Fabian. A lot of rumblings that, you know, I think the Orioles were pretty interested in Judd Fabian, who would have fit very much to go with Colton Kowser. Well, Judd Fabian is going to carry a pretty high price tag because Judd Fabian came into the year as considered a potentially a top 10 pick. Sure. Didn't have a great year, was very up and down. Strikeouts were too high, but his power was there. The, uh, the defense was there in center field. But he went off to get picked 40, and so if you were – the Orioles, and if you had some intention of saying, okay, well, we're going to get Judd Fabian at 41, well, Judd Fabian wasn't there when he picked at 41, so they went with Connor Norby. And Connor Norby, again, very appropriate mm-hmm. for that spot, but Connor Norby wasn't going to command the, 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 the price tag that, that Fabian did. So I, I would not be surprised at all if Baltimore had to kind of adjust their approach as it went along. That said, I, I get it where, like, if you are an Orioles fan and you're looking at Colton Kowser, who was, by all accounts, a top 10, top 15 guy in this draft. Yep. But I get it completely of looking at that and saying, 
would I rather have Colton Cowser or one of those high school shortstops? Would I rather have Colton Cowser or Kumar Rocker? I get that completely. This is very much a current Baltimore Orioles regime draft. <laughs> Colton Cowser and Connor Norby are guys who really hit. They this this is a organization. You go back to the last year of Kirstead and all. You go back to Gunner. You go back to several years. It, they they emphasize hit tools and. Reed Trimble and John Rose to some extent too. They also like to take college players who would, I would describe as high upside college players with shorter track records with a later pick. Sure. Hudson Haskins, who I think you're having on the show today. He fits that exactly. That's, that's what you're talking about with the Reed Trimble. Reed Trimble had a great season in 2021. The only knock on him really is you don't have that track record of him doing the same in 2019 and 2020, it was really like the totality of his dominance was in 2021, but there are tools, there are legit tools there. On top of that, there is, you know, there's athleticism, defense. Mm-hmm. He might even play in the end. He played a little second base last yep. this, this past year. You have all those things going with him. And then John Rhodes is kind of the flip side of that, which is had a great season in 2020 didn't so much this year, but he's again a big athlete. Yeah, no, I, I don't, and I don't want it to seem like the guys that the Orioles selected. I'm, I'm down on right. Like I genuinely mm-hmm. do like the Trimble pick. I like the Norby pick. I like the Kowser pick. I like the Willems pick. Right. And for what it's worth, Trimble did sign for two hundred and twenty-five thousand under slot, which I think, frankly, did yeah. surprise. I mean, a lot of people probably because maybe he did have some more leverage to do so and obviously there are situations where maybe they were prepared to pay more and didn't have to so that's possible as well but I know that you were particularly high on Reed Trimble Um, maybe more so than some of the other people at Baseball America just how high if you were the one controlling the rankings do you think you would have had somebody like that he was a tough one to calibrate Um, again I think he was I wouldn't call him a split camp guy but it depended on who you talked to because again if you saw him at his best, and he was great at times this year, you loved him. But there was less of that track record. There is so, you know, if you're a little bit more risk avoidant, he was a guy who you don't want to go uh, too crazy on. Because, you know, but there are tools there too. It's not just, I, I think of him and Connor Norby as kind of a yin and yang. Connor Norby was one of the best hitters in college baseball this year. But if you're saying, okay, well, what it was, that sounds like a guy who should go in the first round. Well, why didn't he? Eh, he's limited athletically. He's defensively. There are questions about how much impact he'll make. And he, he there's kind of maybe he's one of those great college players who ends up being a good pro. Reed Trimble was a great college player this year, done number one track record. But you look at the tools and you say, okay, is this a guy who can play center? Yeah, probably. Uh, is this a guy who can run? Yeah, absolutely. Has he shown power? Yeah, now. You haven't given you, you haven't been able to see that with a wood bat yet, but you've seen it with metal. Is he, uh, you know, athletic and, uh, you know, dynamic? Yes. Like, uh, again, that's a pick. And compare him to Hudson Haskins. The thing about Hudson Haskins, who had a similar type year uh, in 2020, but it was much abbreviated, obviously. Haskins has kind of a really funky swing that keeps getting comped to 100 pence. Reed Trimble's swing is much more conventional. Yeah. He's kind of a. Uh, uh, a little bit easier to project on than maybe Hudson Haskins. Well, I really like Haskins as a prospect too. 
JJ, it's Paul Valley. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, earlier, just a little bit ago, that this was a very Orioles regime uh, draft, and this Orioles regime likes to take college bats, college players with their draft picks. Uh, do you think that going with Colton Kowser and going with all these college players is more so because of the, where they are with their rebuild and the, and the fact that maybe these guys can get to the majors a little bit quicker, whereas if they were picking in the 20s, maybe that's when they would take a flyer on a high school guy with a lot of upside? I, I got to say no. I think it's just more of their approach. And the reason I say that is, is okay, so let's go back to 2019. In 2019, the first pitcher that Baltimore selected was in the eighth round. Yeah. Okay? 2020, that was only a five-round draft, they selected one pitcher in the entire draft. Mm-hmm. 2021, they selected one pitcher in the top ten rounds. So from that standpoint, this seems to be a consistent approach. And I kind of find it interesting because you have a number of other teams out there who are going exactly the other way. Sure. So – you have the Angels this year who took – they never took a position player in the entire draft. You had Cleveland, which took one position player. You had the Dodgers, who were incredibly pitching heavy. You have these teams who looked at this draft, and they looked at the and, – and maybe it's because it's a little bit more analytical. Maybe it's because of the shortened – not getting to see the hitters hit with wood bat right. last year of college side as they usually get to do. Whatever it was, they went massively pitching heavy. Well – I personally, I like zagging if I'm in the draft when everyone else is zigging. Now, I've got everyone else is a little strong. But if, if teams are headed towards pitchers, well, that means that pitching is going to be a little picked over, especially on the college side. And hitting is going to be where you may be able to see guys a round or two later than you thought because every a lot of these other teams are going pitching. So it, it may be partly that. It, it also may be that – they're, they have a belief that if they can develop pitching with later round guys better than they can develop turn a late round position player into a prospect. I, I look at the system. It is notable that I do think that the system is now, uh, I would say, a little bit more hitter heavy than pitching, but it's not. It's pretty balanced right now. I mean, you obviously have the Grayson Rodriguez's and the DL Halls and the Cal Bravishes to go with the the Rushmans and the, and all the other hitters they have. So, but it is notable. Like I can't think of another team going as hitter heavy at the top of their draft right now as Baltimore is. We heard a lot that this was a draft that maybe was thin on high level college bats. Um, mm-hmm. we, we also know that the Orioles, Michael Elias, Sigma Idol and company are very much a model driven scouting team. Do you think that those kind of a confluence of those factors where when they, they say they went best player available, right? They say they took the guy that was the highest up on their board and that they think they found good value. How much do you think that it was more just about that than my fears of it being, you know, we're, we're just trying to save money? So here's the thing, right? If they are really just trying to save money, this is one of the least efficient ways, like, if you are, if everyone in a draft is resource capped, we are now in a situation where across baseball, when you acquire amateur talent, you are given a fixed amount to spend. You can't exceed that without significant penalties. In case of the draft, you can't go over 4.9% above your bonus allotment without getting to the point where you lose draft picks and no one ever does that. Well, 
it, it baffles me that a team again, and maybe we, when the dust clears on this, they do end up significantly under their full blown helmet. I think that would be, that would be rightfully deserving of criticism as it is, because if that happens, that means you, you did mess up in the draft somehow, because one of the advantages you have of picking high is you have more money to spend. And in the scheme of major league baseball, the amount of money we're talking about is in reality negligible. It, when we are talking about teams that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to spend 50 to 70 million minimum on their big league club in a normal year. If that's the case, saving a million dollars in the draft would make no sense because again, the, the value of those, the value of having that money to spend compared to other teams is really valuable in, in, in the draft. Yep. Because the flip side of this, if you're the Houston Astros, the way that the Astros have been most punished for Spygate is the fact that they've had to sit the last two years and wait for everyone to pick and pick and pick. And then they get to pick. But it's not just the fact that they don't get to pick until late in the draft, till the third round. It's more than that, Ben, that they've had these very small bonus allotments. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it, it does seem – we just don't see teams not come within – maybe you, you miss your total allotment by a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Maybe. But you don't see teams end up spending a million less, a million and a half less than what they have in their allotment. That's just something you don't regularly see because every team views this as – well, this is you. This is we're not going to leave money on the table because it's a small amount of money, but it's a big amount of talent. JJ, the the, the Orioles with their fourth and fifth round picks this year went college senior um, with Dante Williams and Carlos Tavera uh, at one hundred six and one thirty seven. Uh, that's been a head scratcher across baseball. A lot of people questioning that move uh, because the, high, the the college seniors don't have a lot of leverage. It's What else are they going to do? They have to sign. Why wouldn't the Orioles take maybe some younger players with higher ceilings at those picks? Do they really just view these guys as the best players available? It, it, can you make sense of those picks? I, I wrote up Severa. Severa's fault. I do Texas for us. So I wrote up Severa and I didn't expect him to go 137. Uh, you know, again, I thought he was going to get drafted. Didn't expect him to go 137. Now, at the same time, he was really good this year. Um, I, I, the best way I can put it is, is that I talked to scouts about Carlos Tavera. I watched video of Carlos Tavera this year. At the same time, when we get to pick a hundred and something, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the arrogance to say I know more than a team. Like I don't know if there's an attribute in his slider, in his fastball, in his delivery, where they say, oh, this is why we want to have this guy. I haven't had a discussion with the Orioles about why they took Tavera there. And so with that, it's like, I like Tavera. Maybe I don't love Tavera. Again, he's a fifth-round pick, and I was thinking he'd be a little bit later. But I – there may be a piece of information that I don't have that explains it better than I understand it. And that's where it gets difficult when you get later in the draft. Sure. We write up a lot of these guys. We have, you know, we, we write up 500 players before the draft. Tavera was in that 500. But at the same time, when we get out of the top few rounds, 
these teams, if they do the work, they often have more information on the player than we do. Doesn't always mean the case. I'm not giving anyone a blank check that, oh, because the team picked it, it must be a great idea. But what I'm saying is, is you get later on in these drafts, and a lot of times when the guy gets taken, you go, oh, do they know something I don't know? Now, it doesn't always, you know, to give an example from last year, Evan Carter was kind of one of the stories in the draft last year. Weird year last year. The Rangers took him, and he, I think we were pretty much the only publication, our organization out there that had no fun. And we didn't have, we had like two sentences. <laughs> well, that was a shocking pick. But, and I think on the broadcast, you know, someone said like, this is the guy that had needs to go to school. Well, again, last year was really weird. Let's start with that. Teams didn't get, you know, high school teams didn't play much. Right. It does look a year later like, oh, credit to the Rangers. They knew more than everyone else. Most everyone else didn't have them on their, Ivan Carter on their board. I saw him play in low A this year. This is a guy who absolutely looks like a guy that you draft out of high school. He's athletic. He's getting hurt now, but he's athletic. He draws walks. There's some power there. He can play center field. So I'm just not comfortable saying a week after the draft, oh, I know that they screwed up on right. this because I don't know the answer to that. And I, I don't want to come off as alarmist, right? I don't want it to seem as though I'm – standing up on a pedestal and saying, I know better than Michael Elias. And I, I do not. Like, I definitely don't. And in three years, it could be proven that they took the right guys and all of this discussion and, and fear is, is utterly moot. Um, I mean, are there, are there arms that they took in rounds 11 through 20 that, that you are particularly fond of? Who are maybe some of the higher upside guys that they took on day three? Um, I like Keegan Gillies. Um, he's, he was great this year. Uh, that's two lane guy. He's six foot eight, had like a sub one ERA, um, you know, touches 98, uh, has a curveball that's got some potential. I mean, he's a little wild, but he's six foot eight and he's, you know, got those kind of guys often take a little while for it to kind of all come together. Um, but Alex Pham, they took in the 19th is a guy like if you like short right handers who, there's a lot of thought now that short right-handers who have the right fastball characteristics can get more swings and misses up in the zone because their fastball comes in in a flatter plane. So there, there's something interesting there. Um, those are probably the two I would, you know, first kind of highlight. Like Peter Van Loon, who they took in the uh, – what round was that? Van Loon was the 16th, but that's an Irvine guy who – really good body um, – I would say the stuff needs to get a little better, but but at the same time, he looked good in the Cape. Maybe he's kind of a late riser kind of guy. So those are three guys who who do stand out to me as as having some potential. Um, I appreciate all the insight, man. Genuinely, um, I and I just while we have you, I want to get your thoughts. Are there any Orioles prospects that are not maybe in the requisite top five or six? who so far this year have opened the eyes of folks at Baseball America as perhaps being deserving of a bump up? Um, well, okay. So it depends on what we're like. Kyle Bradish, we talked about, he's going to go up. Now, I, I think it's him now at this point. If you're a discerning Orioles prospect watcher, I, I get it where you may say to that, you may say, well, yes, I know. But like he wasn't like to follow what you just said, he wasn't in the top, you know, he wasn't in the top seven coming into the year. 
but that's one who definitely stands out. Um, Kyle Stowers, I, I do think, uh, you know, there's some power there that kind of it's, it's interesting to see kind of how that developed. Hudson Haskins, I, I really like Hudson Haskins. I really think that that's a guy who could absolutely exceed the, you know, the, the spot where he was taken. So that, I guess, would be another one. Those are kind of like, you know, three and kind of different levels of, of prospectiness coming into the season who I think are all kind of worth keeping an eye on. Um, how about Jordan Westberg? This is a guy, he, some swing and miss in, in, in his mm-hmm. plate approach, but he hit in college. He gets drafted in the basically in the first round by the Orioles last year, and then he goes into professional baseball, and he's hit at every level this year. Is that a guy who's approaching even the top 100? Where yeah. do you rank him uh, amongst Orioles prospects? He, he's in top 100 consideration. I didn't mention him because I think he was, you know, like I kind of put him as, that's probably a little too prominent, but I guess he was not far different than what than Brad is coming into the year. But no, I think he is easily among the top tier of uh, of Orioles prospects. And to be honest, when you look at right now, we're doing our midseason rankings. We'll have those up next week at, at Baseball America. When you compare him to Heston Kierstad, it's tough to figure out how to rank those two. Obviously, Kierstad went early, you know went higher, but Kirsten hadn't gotten to play. I mean, we want, you know, from a just a caring about human standpoint, you want to see Heston sure. Kirstad be helping get back on the field. No doubt. Um, but he's lost development time. And Jordan Westberg has not. I think those guys are closer now than they were coming out of the draft as far as how you would line those guys up. Uh, last one for you, JJ. And again, thank you so much for the time. Um, comparing the Orioles system as it stands right now to what it was when Mike Elias and company took over late in 2018. I mean, how drastic of an improvement is the overall depth for the Orioles minor league system? Drastic. I mean, (laughs) drastic, but I mean, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I do think that they're doing a better job of development. Two, when you pick at the top of the draft every year, you should get better. And I, I, the third thing I'll throw, and I don't think we're seeing a ton of like the benefits of this yet, but we will see it, which is when you stop not participating <laughs> in the market that produces 30 to 35% of all big leaguers. Yeah. That makes a massive difference. When you go from saying, I don't know another way to put it, but and it seemed like it was an ownership-based decision. Mm-hmm. But when the Baltimore Orioles tied one arm behind their back for a decade plus, where they said, we're not going to really be involved in the international amateur market. Even though, when you look at the big leagues right now, who would be the person to say, oh, we don't want to be involved in the market that produces Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Luis Robert, Shohei Otani. We could just keep going and going and going. That never made any sense. Yep. That, that, that 29 teams were like, yes, we absolutely want to acquire these players. And Baltimore, for the longest time, is like, no, we're just not going to be part of that. <laughs> well, they stopped doing that. They now participate. And some of the players that you were talking that we just rattled off, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the top player in his class. So was Wander Franco. Um, Shoei Otani, we all knew about when he came over. But 
Ronald Acuna was not a big money signing. Mm-hmm. Vidal Brujan, who just came up with the Rays, was signed for less than $50,000. You have a lot of players. You develop the depth of your system because that is a talent infusion you get every year where some of the players you sign at 16, 17, 18 from the Dominican Republic, from Venezuela, from Colombia, from all these other countries, some of them are going to be less than what you thought. But some of them are going to absolutely blossom in a way that you weren't even sure when you signed them. And so the player that you signed, who was five foot 10, 150 pounds when you signed them, hits a growth spurt, and all of a sudden you have a shortstop who's six foot two, 190 and athletic, and you're like, whoa, what did we got here? That happens all the time. And, but it doesn't happen if you're not participating in that market. And that's the biggest change to me long term for Baltimore is the fact that they stopped avoiding that market makes a will make a long-term difference. He is JJ Cooper, uh, the executive editor of Baseball America. You can find him on Twitter at jjcoop36. Uh, JJ, is there anything else that we should be plugging for you, man? Um, well, I said we'll have a new updated midseason top hundred, and we will have updated midseason top thirty prospect rankings for all uh, thirty teams next week. But right now at Baseball America, we already have uh, check out baseballamerica.com updated draft rankings for the class of twenty uh, twenty three, and you know we're getting ahead and twenty twos and all that. We got an early mock draft for next year, and just put a story up. We had a game in the Dominican Summer League yesterday that was a 22-21 game, 10 innings that took six hours and 35 minutes. <laughs> Craziest game we'll see all year, maybe. Man, we really appreciate the time, as always. We look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, JJ. There he goes, JJ Cooper from Baseball America. A lot of good insights, and he did help assuage some of my concerns as it comes to the Baltimore Orioles draft. So appreciate him taking the time to discuss the guys they did select and also just the overall development of the system as a whole. Today's show is also brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. We're going to take our first break as we broadcast from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here at PressBox. Kyle Ottenheimer, Paul Valley. We will be right back. Here it Watch out! For the first time, the PGA Tour's FedEx Cup Playoffs is coming to Maryland. The top 70 players in the world converge on Kays Valley Golf Club for the 2021 BMW Championship, August 24th through 29th, 2021. Baltimore's iconic and challenging course provides the perfect test as the playoffs heat up. Tickets are now available. Don't miss your chance to watch the drama unfold. Visit BMWChampionship.com today. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. This is how you get a premium cup of coffee. Better and faster than the drip, drip, drip method. And way better than a large urn of lukewarm coffee made who knows when. 
At Royal Farms, our new Swiss-made coffee machines grind fresh premium beans on the spot and then brew them one cup at a time for the freshest, most flavorful cup of premium coffee you can buy. This is Royal Farms coffee. It's better because it's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. We take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. We're raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at SportsSocialMD.com. That's SportsSocialMD.com. Hi, it's Glenn Clark for Window Nation. When it comes to cost and quality, Window Nation has you covered, saving you thousands more on your windows compared to national brands while providing the same, if not better, quality. Want detail? Window Nation measures each window three times to ensure proper fit. And after they install your new windows, they leave your home cleaner than it was before. Get 50% off every style window, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion. Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Tweet us at Glenn Clark Radio. 21st Century Talk Radio at GlennClarkRadio.com. GlennClarkRadio.com. We are back. Glenn Clark Radio from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Chesapeake Employers is your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Today's show is also brought to you by the Stan the Fan Show, and Stan the Fan has two great shows for you every week, and like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. This past Monday, Norfolk Tides manager Gary Kendall joined them to talk about the development of some of the Orioles' prospects. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat about a different newsmaker from the world of sports. On uh, Wednesday's show, they had Executive Director of Maryland Sports Terry Hasseltine on to talk a little bit about some of the events coming to the state of Maryland. Both shows are live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and available the next day at pressboxonline.com. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com. So, yeah, a bit of NFL news broke throughout the course of this morning's show. Not exactly relevant to the Baltimore Ravens, but relevant to the NFL as uh, former top receiver in all of football. I think two years ago he led the league in about every category. Michael Thomas uh, opted to have surgery on his ankle that he had been hampered by throughout much of last season. It's going to sideline him for four months, so that would slate for a return in late November. 
when a good portion of the NFL season, the majority of it, will have already passed. Um, odd for the timing of it to be now and for it not to have come earlier in the offseason when that four-month timeline would have had him back maybe in training camp or at least by week two or three. Um, the Saints are now even more confusing as without Drew Brees, the quarterback situation has been of focus for football fans. They seem to be suggesting that there's going to be some sort of competition between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill maybe has the edge, being that he was the guy that took the field when Drew Brees was out last year. But um, they don't look like they're going to be great this year. I could be wrong. Maybe they end up being better than we expect. But without Michael Thomas and Drew Brees, um, they're going to really need to lean heavily on Alvin Kamara. And they didn't seem to know how to throw the football to Alvin Kamara when Taysom Hill was quarterback. So I probably would suggest they figure that part of the offense out without Michael Thomas. Well, you look at the Saints and you look at the situation that Michael Thomas is in, it's who's throwing you the football. You have Jameis Winston, who became the first quarterback in NFL history to have 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in a season. I'm not as down on Winston. I think Winston could succeed in in the right opportunity, but that opportunity probably had to include Michael Thomas. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. And then, then, or you have Taysom Hill, who's 30, who has less than a handful of starts under his belt in his career. You don't really know what you have in him. The people in New Orleans would lead you to believe that he's better than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, well. Right? Uh, We've we've seen that a number of times. But is this a situation? And I don't know Michael Thomas's contract situation. I know that uh, he debuted in 2016. I believe is he, he still... got a pretty sizable extension at one point, if I'm not is, mistaken. Is he looking to get himself healthy to then work his way out of New Orleans? Or is this one of those things where he went into off-season workouts and mini camps and heading into training camp and was testing out the ankles like, guys, it's just not going to happen. I need the surgery. I have to think that was what happened, right? Like, it would be ridiculous if he just was sitting around in the offseason knowing full well that surgery was going to be in his future and that he was going to have to miss four months at some point, and he chose to do it now, right? Like, there's no logic behind that, and no football player would want to – I can't imagine a situation where a football player would make that choice unless maybe it's Aaron Rodgers, and he's like, I don't really feel like playing at all this year. Um, it's odd. It is odd. They are now – is their number two receiver Traquan Smith? Like, that's who they have now and, and waiting in the wings. Like, they seem to have some issues to figure out in New Orleans. And they had those before Michael Thomas was going to miss four months. So if you're a Saints fan, I hope you enjoyed the Drew Brees era. You might be in for some thin years for the next couple. But, um, you know, big news. Big news is now there have been two significant injuries, him and Cam Akers, that right. have, you know, sweeping effects across football. Thankfully, the Ravens have... Been without any news like that, though, of course. You better camp. knock on some wood, man. I don't even know where there is wood in this room. <laughs> That's a wall. Maybe there's wood behind it. <laughs> uh, no, the Ravens set to begin training camp in four or five days. We saw Lamar Jackson getting wheeled through the airport by some uh, employee, and it looked pretty funny. Look, I mean, I thankfully, the Ravens are not the Saints. The Ravens have every hope to be not only competitive, but Super Bowl contenders this season and hopefully get over the hump that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and we'll see, right? We will see. They certainly did add to their receiver core, and they have some signs that would say that they are going to be trying to do more through the air this year. How much more? I don't know. Will there be a different run-pass split in 2021 than there have been for the past two seasons? Can't say for sure. But as I've said before, right, this isn't necessarily about 
redefining your breakdown between run and pass. In my opinion, it's about sort of reshaping what it is you do with those passes and boosting the the leverage, boosting the ask of Lamar Jackson as well, the route combinations for the guys catching the football. Do me a favor, Paul. Read this for me while I get Hudson Haskell on the line. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Thomas Kenzura profiles University of Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa and his chance to deliver the Terps to Big Ten prominence this year. Also inside, Bo Smolka breaks down the Ravens' offensive line. We meet the area's Olympic athletes and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Joining us right now, uh, we just had J.J. Cooper on, and he talked about just how high he is on this Orioles prospect. He was a selection by the O's in the, it was the second round in the 2020 draft out of Tulane. He is Hudson Haskin, Aberdeen Ironbirds outfielder, and he joins us now on Glenn Clark Radio. Hudson, it's Kyle and Paul here in Baltimore. Thanks for taking some time for us this morning. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. No doubt, man. So you are recently promoted to Aberdeen after an impressive stretch there at Delmarva. I mean, walk me through the excitement level when you get a call like that and are told that, you know, you've earned that promotion to the next level. Yeah, it was huge. Um, Really excited to have the opportunity to come here and continue to challenge myself and try and get better every day. Um, Definitely, that is the first time I've ever been promoted, so kind of some like bittersweet feelings just leaving guys that you develop relationships with and um, spent a lot of time with over the past two three months but also really excited to go forward and kind of reconnect with a lot of other guys here so Hudson you were you made up a top three in that Delmarva lineup with Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson that was absolutely lethal to begin this year. Then you watch your buddies get uh, both promoted to Aberdeen. Were you kind of chomping at the bit to go rejoin them at Aberdeen, and what does it mean to get back to playing with those guys at the next level? Yeah, I'm really excited to get back to playing with them. Um, Those are two of my favorite guys in the organization, and um, it's really cool to get on base because they're going to knock you in pretty much every time, whether it's Gunner or Jordan. Um, I would say that, you know, when they left, I was obviously happy for them, but I wasn't necessarily chomping at the bit. I was just trying to um, play well wherever they put me, but definitely excited to get back with them. So one of the things that I think you're most well-known for is, I would say, maybe your unorthodox swing at the plate. Um Look, it works for you, right? First and foremost, it has not stopped you at any level from succeeding. But when you hear people say to you when you're coming out of college or even starting in the minor leagues that, oh, you won't be able to succeed unless you adjust your approach, what do you say to people who who tell you stuff like that? I think hitting at the end of the day is being able to put the barrel on the ball. Um, You know, if you can do that, I don't think it really matters how it looks. Um, with that being said, I think like as I've gotten older, I've matured a lot and kind of taken ownership of what I do, maybe a little bit different, and that's okay. You know, obviously I'm going to continue to uh, make adjustments and refine my approach and 
you know, do things better within that. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like, how can I be the best version of myself? Not like, oh, how can I look like this hitter? Now, coming out of college, of course, you drew the comparisons to Hunter Pence, and those comparisons haven't really stopped. Now, we know that you're your own player and that your game is your game, but do you kind of feed off those comparisons, or is there another player that you think your game more resembles? Um, I, I think, you know, the Hunter Pence thing is cool. He's had a great career, um, and he's just an example of a guy that, one of many, right, that may not have the prettiest swing but is able to produce and help his team win. Um, you know, I think for me, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I have one player that I have a straight comparison for, but I like taking parts, um, from different people's games and kind of combining them. So, um, yeah, you know, that stuff is cool, but at the end of the day, um, just worried about trying to become the best Hudson Haskin I can be. Obviously it didn't bother Mike Elias and company. They took you very early in the 2019 draft and, you know, for good re- 2020 draft, excuse me, for good reason, right? Clearly you, like I said, have produced at every level you've gone to. Have they just told you, and I'm sure they have because nothing's really changed, but like, hey, man, do you. Like, we are confident in your bat-to-ball skills. There's no reason for us to try to change anything. Yeah, I appreciate the Orioles being supportive um, of me in that front. I think the hitting department has helped me a lot just in taking the next step playing professional baseball, facing better pitching. Um, you know, you're always trying to refine stuff no matter who you are. And I think I've made uh, some big strides over the off season coming into this year. And even this year, I feel like I've made some good adjustments. So my goal is to just continue to do that. And um I said before, uh, just keep trying to get better every day. And I think over time, I'm going to put myself in a position to – you know, be successful and hopefully play for a long time. You have 17 stolen bases so far this year, all of which at Del Mar, I imagine there will only be a matter of time until you add to that tally at Aberdeen. Is it the kind of thing where whenever you're on base, you're essentially, you know, ready and gearing up to take second? Um, For the most part. I mean, the situation of the game definitely has a lot to do with it. You know, we played in some pretty lopsided games in Del Marva, so, you know, you're not going to be – stealing second or third when you're up 10 runs in the sixth. Um, But, you know, that's a big part of my game that I want to continue to work on and hopefully become a guy that can steal a base at any time to put himself in scoring position for someone to drive me in. Does the organization or, like, does the team kind of just give you the green light to go at your own behest? Um, I think it kind of depends on where you're at. But uh, for the most part, uh, it's, it's not been, like, very restricting. Hudson, you're, you've been profiled as a guy who, at one point in his major league career, will probably hit 20 to 25 home runs a year. You appear to be, for all intents and purposes, a, basically a five-tool player. The defense is there, the speed, the, the hit tool, the power um, in spurts there, uh, and the arm. What Of those tools, what's the one that you hang your hat on the most? I would say defense. Um, you know, I think that the ability to play center field is something that's really important and something that doesn't slump. So no matter how you're feeling, you could bring that to every game and help your team. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you kind of alluded to, I, I think I can impact the game in a lot of different ways. And that's something I want to continue to work on. 
What's it like being a part of the Orioles organization right now? I mean, obviously, we talk to every prospect, and they say, look, I can only focus on the day-to-day. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It doesn't serve me as a baseball player to be looking, you know, years in the future. But it is no secret as to where this organization is at the major league level, going through a rebuild, and there figure to be ample opportunity for minor leaguers to carve out significant roles on the big league club in the future. How exciting is it to be going through your day-to-day process at the minors, knowing that if you do your job, you will be rewarded at some point? Yeah, it's definitely a good feeling. Um, I think there's a lot of competition within the organization that kind of pushes everybody to get better. And so that, that aspect of it is really good. And then like the other player said, you know, you really just can focus on what you can control. And, and right now you don't want to play GM or you don't want to um, try and speculate on the future. It's more about just kind of what I can do right now to try and get better and help the team win. Hudson, you're, um, you're now part of a team that has a, a a fairly new regime in place with Mike Elias and Sigma Dell and Brandon Hyde. Uh, and they, for all intents and purposes, are very analytically driven. Just how analytically driven is this organization by your experience? What kind of tools are at your disposal to help improve your game on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, the amount of resource they have here is, um, is a lot. Um, you know, I personally was never really exposed to any of the technology side of baseball until I got here. Um, so I'm still learning a lot of those aspects, but, um, yeah, they're, they're really knowledgeable people, really smart, really dedicated. And, you know, they want to provide every possible avenue for you to be successful. With, uh, Aberdeen, you know, full of a lot of high level talent, you mentioned, obviously you're playing alongside Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and other people who are, you know, clearly in the, on the process of making names for themselves, not only the minor leagues, but future big league level as well. Um, what's the atmosphere like when you guys take the field? I imagine that you expect to win every game, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, no idea. Still trying to get a feel for everything around here. It's been my, I mean, I played three games, um, but the clubhouse is great. Guys have been really receptive and, um, seems like a good, really good group of guys. I'm looking forward to get to playing with them. Now, th- this might be kind of a, an obvious question, but we've seen a lot of uh, players come out of college and kind of had, struggle a little bit adjusting to using a wood bat as opposed to the metal bat that you use in college. Now, you did play in uh, summer league and you hit well over 300 in that league, but has there been an adjustment period going from swinging aluminum to swinging wood, and what has that adjustment been like for you? Um, you know, that's actually a pretty good question. I don't think it's a huge adjustment in terms of the bat that you're using. Um, you know, I'm sure that you get a couple more hits here and there, uh, hitting through a jam or, um, hitting something off the end with a metal bat. I think the biggest adjustment is is just the quality of pitching. It's a lot more consistent here than it is in college. Um, you know, in college you may, on the back end of a Sunday game or in a midweek game, you're facing guys that, you know, are not having the opportunity to play pro, pro ball. So um, it's it's been an adjustment for sure, but um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. 
how much is it exciting to be able to go up against guys that are, you know, top prospects in their own right? Does it make you a better player on a day-to-day basis to know that you're stepping in the box against guys who are, you know, can ramp it up to the high 90s with sharp sliders and all of that? Like, what does that do for you as a competitor? Definitely, yeah, it's huge. Um, those are the guys you want to face because those are the people that's going to make you better. I think the more at-bats you get it, get against them, the more comfortable you feel. So, I mean, if the ultimate goal is to play in the big leagues, like that's what you're going to see every day, and that's what you should want to see every day here. Uh, Hudson, you, you you went from Delmarva, who's one of the best records in minor league baseball, to Aberdeen that's been at the top or near the top of their division the entire year. Of course, you want to get promoted, and you take those prom- those promotions anytime they come. But is there part of you that's like, I want to make a run at a minor league championship with the guys around me, or is it just get promoted and just keep moving up the system as quickly as possible? Um, that's another good question. I think just wherever the Orioles put me, uh, just trying to do the best I can and help whatever team I'm on win. You know, that's all I can really control. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, obviously, it's a grind, minor league baseball, and there's games nearly every day. You got to find something to be able to sort of take your mind off of things and relax. Like, what's your go to way during the season to decompress and to find time for yourself? Uh, well, I picked up golf over the offseason. My game's still, uh, still a work in progress, <laughs> but that's a good way for me to kind of take my mind off things on the off day. Um, I started reading, which I never thought I'd say, but, um, (laughs) that's been another good way to just kind of take my mind off of baseball and try and learn something and like develop as a person. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, an interesting adjustment being on your own and, uh, having a lot of free time, but not being around like friends or family. Um, but you know, looking back on it, it's, I've made a lot of really cool memories and experiences just from the last three months. So, What are you reading right now? Any recommendations that we need to pick up? Um, I just started reading The Power of Now. Um, seems pretty interesting, about like 20 pages in. But so you can't just really... talking about like being in the present moment. You're more of a – you're more of like ahead. a – sorry, you're more of like a nonfiction more than a fiction guy? Yeah, I would say so. At least for now, I'm just trying to get some things that could help me on the field. Fair enough. Hudson, you you, you said that you picked up golf. Now, I'm a guy who's played baseball and played golf my entire life. To you, which is harder, hitting a golf ball or hitting a 95-mile-an-hour fastball? Uh, To me, definitely hitting a golf ball. (laughs) I could use a lot more work on that. Um but, yeah, I have an appreciation for both sports. I think they're really challenging, but in a lot of ways they're similar, which is why I kind of like golf. Um, so, Are you the type of guy that, like, if you're not good at something, then you're hell-bent on doing it until you're actually good at it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I would definitely say I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So. What's the one sport that you absolutely suck at? <laughs> um. Probably golf. No, just kidding. I'm not that bad. Um, I don't know. That's tough. I would say you're just talented. I'd say at probably everything. football. Football. Yeah, right. I, I played football for a year in high school. It wasn't for me. I'm not a big contact guy. So fair enough. Well, 
It, 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 you chose the right sport then in that it, case. It's fair to say, though, if you can play baseball and you can play baseball professionally, you can compete in just about every other sport, I, I, I have to imagine. You're, you're probably pretty good at everything you try, I would imagine. Yeah, I'd like to think so, at least. Are you <laughs> Makes a, me feel better. Are you a basketball player at all? Because I know there's a lot of trash talking among, like, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson. Do you hoop at all? Oh, no no shot. Definitely <laughs> wouldn't be in that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just stay in my lane. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Hey, man, it's been a good time getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, look forward to just watching you continue to progress through the minor league system. Uh, best of luck and continued health and success to you, and uh, look forward to seeing you in an Orioles uniform sometime soon, man. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Have a good rest of your day. You too, man. There he goes. Hudson Haskin, uh, Orioles outfield prospect. Um, I mean, there's a lot to like about him as a baseball player. Even if you want to criticize that wonky swing, you cannot argue with the results. I mean, the contact I, tool is legit. I liked what he said, and it's it's really important. It's that your swing is your swing, but it's about getting the barrel on the ball. And I don't care what your swing looks like. If you get the barrel on the ball the way he does – do whatever you need to do. You know? I don't disagree. I mean, I have he was my favorite pick probably of that draft uh, because of, I think, the toolsy nature of him as a baseball player. And I would say there's been nothing yet that would indicate that he can't play at this level. Um, only four games or three games at Aberdeen, so he's still getting his feet wet there. Um, but the 100-plus split between his batting average and on-base percentage is something that you've seen the Orioles really prioritize. A good approach, a good knowledge of the strike zone, and you know not a lot of swing and miss in his game. Um, that's something that, as an Orioles fan, is refreshing, being that when I was a young person, it seemed like uh, they led the league in strikeouts just about every year and yeah. had the fewest walks of any team in the Major League Baseball. So, like... I like it. I like where they're prioritizing as far as the tools with the bat is concerned, and you see it with Colton Kowser and Connor Norby and players like that who have more walks than they do strikeouts. So I think I saw a stat that the Bowie Bay Sox have like 300 walks in 70-some games this year, you know, by far the most in the minors. That's, that's always going to play. A knowledge of the strike zone, no matter what level you are at, that's one thing that is not going to change in the strike zone unless you have terrible lump in the, behind the plate. But, yeah. Yeah, w- with him, when he got drafted, one of the most exciting things is they said that this is a guy who's going to hit for average, he's going to hit for sneaky power, and he's gonna, he could be a 2020 guy at the major league level. And I think that the stolen base especially now when it's three-true-outcome baseball and you're just focused on hitting home runs. Sure. Uh, it's a lost art. It is. The stolen base is a lost art. He's got 17 stolen bases. I haven't looked, but that's got to lead the entire organization. I think Cedric Mullins has 16, right? Something like that. I mean, so, I don't know. It's there. I think Stowers has a good number himself, and like it's clear that they are not shying away from letting guys run, which you'd like to see. Now, if that's something that they intend to have a, be a big part of the Orioles at the major league level when this all comes to fruition, I think that remains to be seen. But you like that they're not discouraging it. Mm-hmm. You like that they're letting these players develop that skill and kind of hone in on the ability to time pitchers, get good jumps, and they're not really saying, hey, like we care more about keeping you on base than we do about you developing as a player. And that's, you know, it's integral to making sure that these guys are fulfilling their potential. So definitely, I'm encouraged to see that he's not only running, but succeeding when he's doing it, right? Like, 
you love to see that. And the 2020 talk seems to be legitimate as far as Hudson Haskin is concerned. There's comparisons between he and Trimble, I think, for good reason in that way. And what, what, what's cool th- to see um, over the last three years of draft picks, and this includes Hudson Haskin, is the fact that at the player that they're described to be by Jim Callis and a Jonathan Mayo and a J.J. Cooper, it, it's, it seems to be that's the player that they are. Right now, you you look at Jordan Westberg and Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, Hudson Haskin, the list goes on and on and on. These players are proving to be exactly what they were described to be. And no that's so cool to see that they're having – that not only were they high picks, but now they're having success as soon as they start playing. Definitely. No, absolutely. Um, good stuff. Really looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the organization as he continues to move up different levels. Today's show is also brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Excuse me. Glory Days Grill is hiring all positions, and if you want to work at a great family-oriented company known for their commitment to the community, then stop in to one of the restaurants and speak with a manager. Management opportunities are available. Jack, you ready to do two utes? Two Utes is brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation is offering an incredible deal, folks. You can get 50% off all styles of windows, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 (coughs) months. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you. Window Nation, the perfect fit. Without further ado, it is Two Utes, the segment where intern Jack tells us what has been piquing the interest of folks younger than myself and Paul and Glenn and Stan the Fan for sure. Uh, Jack, what's going on in the world of the young people? Um, so yesterday the NFL came out and said like yeah. with an update with the covid protocols and yeah. everything basically saying that if you aren't vaccinated and you happen to test positive during the year and they can't schedule the game for a later date that team forfeits the yep. game they're going to lose that like the playoff seating is going to they're going to drop and then it turns out that both teams every player doesn't get a paycheck for that yep. game as well so that kind of a lot break. of scuttlebutt yeah. on Twitter about that. Yeah. yeah. So then DeAndre Hopkins came out and twi- yeah. sent out a tweet like questioning his um, future in the league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whether he was going to retire or not. Then he deleted that, and then he tweeted again a few hours later, just the word "freedom" with a question mark at yep. the end. So that's kind of just like bringing out like what are these players going to do? Because they come out and say that like seventy, I think it's seventy-five, eighty percent of the league is is vaccinated, or at least has gotten at least one of the two right. shots that you would need. Um, and you have Roger Goodell, who obviously is come out and said that he's for the vaccine like get the vaccine just play and pretty much try and avoid COVID as much as possible because we saw last year like the scheduling conflicts especially with the Ravens I mean they had a game on Wednesday they had a game on Tuesday they had a game on Monday they had a game every day of the week so like especially with them adding an, uh, the eight, uh, the 18th week or the 17th yep. game I guess um, if they can't get it in I mean it's it's unfair not even to to like the team itself but I mean you have thousands of people that are rooting for the city the team I mean there's more than just that one individual who's going to test positive eventually it will happen sure and it's just like if you can't really do your part and, and just like try and stay up to date and and kind of just like yeah get yourself and like treat yourself like 
health and do like the proper things to like keep your body in shape and make sure that you're staying with up to like the health and safety protocols. I mean, there's going to be some issues, I feel like. Well, to be clear, right? Like this is not a violation of DeAndre Hopkins constitutional rights. No, no, no. That's not how this works. Right. The NFL is a private organization that can make the rules as they see fit. We can disagree with their rules on marijuana. We can disagree with their approach on a number of things, but it's their right as an organization to set those rules. It is the players' decisions to how they adhere to them. Um, DeAndre Hopkins does not need to be vaccinated, but if he's unvaccinated, he's going to have to follow the rules set out by the NFL in doing so, or he could choose to not play in the NFL. This isn't a suppression of his rights. This is how any business works. Dress codes are in place at, at workplaces, and if somebody walks in in a Hawaiian shirt and booty shorts when they're <laughs> supposed to be wearing a, a suit, like they are at risk of being fired. Kyle, I was kind of hope you'd be wearing that when I walked in today. That was yesterday. You missed that. Uh, That's only for Stan the Fan that I wear that. No. Um, yeah, and Cole Beasley, I think, is the most outspoken of any of these yeah. folks, even before the NFL came down with what might be deemed the extreme new rules. The, uh, the side of things where it's nobody would be paid, I think that's probably the most controversial part of I, all of this. Yeah. Because, right, like, why would you penalize the team that the team that made the mistake is playing if it wasn't their fault? But I think that's sort of... Well, it kind of fits under, because if the game's not paid... If it, if it isn't going to be played, then you're not going to generate the revenue that you would need for that game. So Definitely. I feel like it kind of would coincide well, with the whole thing. And let's also be realistic about this. The NFL is going to do whatever they can to make sure nobody has to forfeit a game. Right. Sure. Right? I mean, the Ravens played on a Wednesday afternoon in, no, in November last year when they had a COVID outbreak and, and basically couldn't set foot on the field for almost two weeks. So it's not like they aren't going to make – use every avenue possible mm -hmm. to get these games to go. But if something like that happens, like, look, we can't play on Wednesday either, that's when it's going to happen. And that's the extreme case. I think that th something like that is probably behind us at this point. We now, hope, right? I'm, I'm not a medical professional here. I just, Luckily, I am. No. Yeah. <laughs> but th th they're going to do whatever they can to get games in. And, and I think that a lot of people, and as is wont to happen when you are dealing with a controversial issue, the worst-case scenario pops into your head, and that's immediately what you run with, but that's probably not what's going to happen. And I think they did make a distinction between in the situation where the team would have to forfeit. If I'm not mistaken, it was there has to be like a utter disregard by the team in the outbreak in question, right? Like if for some reason, it's extremely unlikely given what we know about the effectiveness of the vaccine, but if for some reason there's an outbreak of 15 to 20 vaccinated players on a team, I don't know how the NFL goes about handling that because it seems like they're putting these policies in place to try to deter guys who are unvaccinated, well, A, from being unvaccinated, but be from making stupid decisions like we saw the Titans do when they held practices when they were supposed to be away from the facility and like not together. Um, a lot of this is a work in progress and it will be interesting to see whether the guys like Beasley, Hopkins, Leonard Fournette take this as a sign that maybe they need to get over their notions about what the vaccine safety is and maybe thinking about their team as a whole but again this is their right to make a choice this isn't the nfl saying you cannot take the football field unless you are vaccinated this is the nfl saying here are our rules for how this works if you're not and again that's within their right
Well, and you look at it, a guy like Ezekiel Elliott who came out yesterday and said he grew up in a household where they didn't get vaccines. But then he, he and he's not going to say everybody should get the vaccine, but he got the vaccine sure. right. because he knows it's not just about him. It's about your team. And he, he's a big part of that team. And you have a responsibility to your team. DeAndre Hopkins, if you don't want to get the vaccine, that's fine. But think about all the people that you're letting down sure. by not getting that vaccine. You are a huge important piece and it's, of the Arizona Cardinals. There is a lot of history in this country that would lend skepticism for folks to have questions about vaccines. I won't pretend that like it's a sterling reputation in our country and that particularly the black community does not have reason for pause given these things. But the idea that there's a greater risk in the vaccine than there is in contracting COVID, mm-hmm. I think at that point we can probably scoff a little bit and say, dude, why don't you look at the statistics a little closer? Right. Yeah. Right. What's number two, Jack? So I, I'm not sure if you had said it before, but the Cleveland Indians officially just announced we their, did not. their name change to the Cleveland Guardians. And with that, you know, people are uh, not really taking it the best way so far. Um, I've been reading about it on, on Twitter and just like local articles that are written by like the Cleveland sports uh sports writers and uh, a lot of people are pretty pissed off about the uh, the name change not just because like the whole thing's brand new and they knew that the name was going to officially be changed from the Indians to something else but the Guardians and their their mask that their, their official logo yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of looks like something that a four-year-old <laughs> would do in like an arts and crafts kind of thing and, and everyone's kind of just on the right now just saying like this really is a professionally done MLB logo. Is this really like what's going on? And and then there's jokes coming like the Cleveland Guardians. It's like what are they guarding? Are they like the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like the Cleveland. It's like stuff like that. So, I mean, with with something like that, I mean, if the Baltimore Ravens had to change their name for whatever the case may be, I I personally would be pretty upset at, in the beginning. I mean, it's going to take time just because it's brand new. I mean, you have people that have been lifelong fans for the Cleveland Indians for the last. 80 years they've the indians have actually it's been i was reading about it so their their name for the indians was only over like 90 years and then like before that it was like something else and that so it's been like a couple different names but this one's been like the longest yep. stretch of the this the teams having their same name um but uh what's it called it's um It'll take some time to get used to. Sure. I mean, anytime, anytime you you create a new name, obviously it's going to open up the doors for millions of dollars of merchandise that that fans are going to go out and buy and support the team. But as it's just funny that like right off the bat, people are just so against the name. And I mean, the ga- the name isn't the best. It's I mean, not, it's the, not best. the best. People are saying it's like an XFL team kind of name. Or I wonder what the mascot's going to be like. So what are you? Logo. Yeah, like what are you <laughs> going to make the mascot if it's a guardian? Like one of the the British guys with the funny well, hats. Apparently, the name is derived from the statues that they have all around yeah. the city. Uh, okay, I, I, so there's I, actually I, a tie to the city. Yeah, they 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 have all these statues around the city. I've read this briefly, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but they're they're called the Guardians of the City or something like that. All these statues, so that's what the name is derived from. But I wouldn't say that I'm pissed off about the name. I could care less about what it's, Cleveland does. Yeah, all things considered, I, I, I don't I don't care. You yeah. know what I mean? But it just I feel like. They could have done a better job. I agree. And, and it's it's like when we saw the L.A. Rams new logo come out, and we were like, right. "Who came up with this? It, 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 
the timing of it is the timing of it is a little weird that it was just yeah. mid-season randomly on a random day in July. And are they just now the Guardians the rest of the year? Or does it start next year? I think so. I mean, there was no, as you said, like Chief Wahoo was not a member of their jerseys anymore. They didn't wear those hats anymore. I'm sure that there are probably a bunch of fans in Cleveland that are annoyed that that's not the case. But like, guys, come on, it's 21st century. We can acknowledge that probably we can stop, you know, appropriating Native American. Right. You know, things and particularly caricatures the way that their logo is or was. Um, so all things considered, I'm fine with it. But, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like necessarily the most exciting choice. But if no. Cleveland's okay with it and there's reason for it to be tied to the city, then who am I to say? Are the Braves next? The Braves and the Chiefs are the two now left that are, right. you know. Are and then there could be some speculation later down the line with maybe like the Texans or, or the And Cowboys then there's Florida State. I mean, like there's yeah, a lot of Seminoles, stuff in sports so. that are – you know, probably about time we look at. Um, we'll see. I mean, credit to the Indians for doing it, you know, for making the decision. And I know that they have come under scrutiny, but it's not quite to the same level as Washington did. Yeah. Um, Who's but, on the clock now? Yeah, right. Well, they said they're going to have a new team name next year. So right. it'll be happening. Number three. Um, so it's kind of like I have like two more things, but one of them's just more like the, the, the ring ceremony that happened yesterday for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Did you happen to take a look at their Super Bowl ring? I did not. So it's it's all over. I mean, I've seen videos of like very high definition, like right on top of the ring, like all in like because it's like the craziest ring I think ever like in, like the, every, in the history of rings, every champion's I, trying to one up the most recent it's one. It's the feels size like. of a lacrosse ball. Yeah, no, this is ring really? is like the most special thing I think ever to be put on a finger. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, they kind of gave the the whole rundown of like piece by piece of what Let's what the see. ring actually entails, and it's just like the most beautiful looking ring ever. And the one that they're showcasing is Brady's, obviously, with the uh, MVP and little um, engraving on the on the yeah. ring. But. Um, no, I was just gonna go quickly and just give like the rundown of the ring, just because it's it's just like totally worth. Yeah, no, look at it thing. now. Yeah, it's pretty so, uh, extravagant. Yeah, so on the left, one of the left Lombardi trophies, there's nine diamonds, which represents the amount of points that the Chiefs gave up. Okay, you mean the Chiefs? Scored. I mean the Chiefs scored, yeah, yeah, correct? Yeah. And then there's eight emeralds on the outside of the diamonds, so each one represents the eight straight wins that the Buccaneers would finish. Emeralds? Now, I don't see any green bezels on this one. I think it, it's on, like, the, the top. You can't see it from, like, the straightaway picture. I'm looking at four angles. I see no green <laughs> diamonds anywhere on this ring. They're lying to you, Jack. All right, you can, you can keep going. Keep going. All right. Um, and then, so there's a total of 319 Jeez. diamonds on the ring, which is for the 31 to 9 score. That's insane. And then it's personalized with players' names and mm -hmm. then, like, whatever accolade that they have. And then the... the Bruce under Bruce Arians, like his big motto is uh, "one team, one cause," and that's engraved on the on the side as well. I'm looking at like it looks like the top is detachable too. Yeah, so it's the first ring that they've ever made where the where the ring the top of the ring comes off, and what's underneath that ring is just incredible. That like the amount of detail that went into it because when you take the ring off, um, it has the stadium with. It has Raymond James Stadium inside, underneath the ring. This is have you that's seen? cool. This is what it looks like. That's cool. And very closely, it's got like the actual like cutout of each like seat with the stadium, and then the diamond here is marked for where they they run out of the tunnel. That's cool, but that's insane. Right, right. It, the that's insane. It's got it's got too much going on for. It seems like kind of the next. That's like the tradition now with Super Bowl rings and or any championship right. ring is and like then, you're never going to so wear this. When the Ravens inevitably win the Super Bowl this year, sure. are they going to have? their ring 
with M&T Bank Stadium on the inside, and you can actually read the Ring of Honor. Inside the ring, I do know there would be cool. three Lombardi trophies on it, not two. Yeah. And actually, and then there was uh, they they were showing because Brady obviously like seventh Super Bowl is just like whatever yeah, well, at this point. But we're over you that. can see the the pro- the progression of his Super Bowl rings, and it's like his first one is obviously yeah, like right. something incredibly special too, and it's just like it, it looks like something you could buy it like five below <laughs> compared to the one that he has now. So. Good stuff, Jack. Appreciate it as always. He's got like $8 million worth of (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, no, it's incredible. That was two Utes. Uh, We are now going to be joined in a second by Baltimore Sun Ravens beat writer Jonas Schaefer. Today's show is also brought to you by Sports and Social Maryland. And Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. It takes sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. It's the perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. They have raised the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at SportsSocialMD.com. That's SportsSocialMD.com. And joining us right now, he is one of the Baltimore Ravens beat writers for the Baltimore Sun. He is Jonas Schaefer, and he joins us now on Glenn Clark Radio. Jonas, it's Kyle and Paul here in Baltimore. Thank you so much for taking some time for us this morning, man. Morning, fellas. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. So I guess we'll start with what appears to be the most popular topic of discussion around the NFL, and that is their what some might deem draconian measures to deter players from entering the season unvaccinated. We've seen some of the more high-profile players in football speak out about how they feel, but it seems like there's been no real discussion among Ravens players against it. Are you to understand, and I think we have heard that the Ravens are over that 75% threshold, but are you to understand that this might not be as big of a problem in Baltimore as maybe it would be in Buffalo? Yeah, I don't think anything's as toxic as what's going on in Buffalo. I think, you know, I would be surprised if there are any teams around the league that are going to have 100% compliance. I think it's just too polarizing of an issue. Some people just have made up their minds and are not going to change their minds. I mean, I think even if the Ravens are, you know, let's say above 85% and haven't really gotten a a concrete sense of just where they are, it won't really matter if, if all anyone is talking about is, what Lamar Jackson says or doesn't say on Wednesday when you know, he's expected to go up to the podium. Obviously, he made some headlines at minicamp when he basically gave a non-answer right. about where he is vaccination-wise. And, you know, he is the face of this franchise. He's one of the faces of the NFL. So if he, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate for him, but if he basically gives a non-committal answer, the tenor around these talks is people just assuming that he uh, has decided not to get vaccinated. Um, that's just, you know, how... The, the discourse is, is headed right now. So uh, he might overshadow what could be good news for the Ravens with their with their vaccination progress. But, um, you know, that's all just a hypothetical right now. And I guess we'll know more when we talk to John Harbaugh next week. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, um, on the football field, obviously fans are eager to see what the team does offensively. And I think there's been some speculation that due to the draft pick of Rashad Bateman in the first round, due to the hiring of Keith Williams, T. Martin in the offseason, that perhaps we could be seeing an evolved passing attack for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, how, how much do you think the offense is really going to change this season? Or do you think that maybe this was just an effort by the Ravens to put perhaps more talent around Lamar Jackson while not necessarily increasing the volume of passing? 
It's a fascinating question. Uh, it, it's really tough to tell without getting out there and seeing what they might do. Uh, I don't think they're going to go all Pittsburgh Steelers on this offense and just go four wide every play. Um, they have the, I think, the potential, as we saw in 2019, to be a really effective spread offense, but that's pretty much kind of like antithetical to what Greg Rome is all about. You know, he's a guy who likes those two tight end sets, maybe even three tight end sets. And uh, if the Ravens have Nick Boyle and Mark Andrews healthy, it's tough to argue against putting those two together. It really just makes defenses uncomfortable because you have, you have the option of just running it down their throat, but you also have the option of you know, having some, some really nice pass looks just with that play action and with the threat of Lamar uh, that, that Lamar gives as a as a runner, as a scrambler. So it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I think it, it'll probably change from week to week. It might just be in a situation like we saw a running back last year where they're just going to go with the hot hand, but instead of a hot hand, it's just a hot formation. You know, some defenses might be better prepared to stop the Ravens when they go three or four wide. Um, and some might be better prepared to stop the Ravens when they're, you know, in 22 personnel or something like that. So I would imagine that they are going to pass more than they did last year. That's not saying a whole lot because they still easily led the NFL in the amount of runs. But, you know, it was interesting that Greg Roman kind of pushed back on just how run heavy this, this team is. You know, he said, we actually intended to pass more than we did run last year. And he, it's kind of true if you look at the numbers, but still, I think it's an accurate assessment to call last year's team a run-first team, just like the 2019 team was. Last year, it was obvious to me that the Ravens should have been running some more screen passes, some more passes out of the backfield, given the speed that they have in Hollywood Brown and the dynamic player they have in J.K. Dobbins and even Gus Edwards. Is there going to be more emphasis on completing passes out of the backfield to some of these players to get the ball in their hands uh, in open space? I think there is. I think we saw J.K. Dobbins be more active in offseason workouts as a receiver. Uh, that was a problem for the Ravens uh, last year. I think especially in that game against Buffalo, they would have been a lot better just taking those those uh, you know five seven yard completions that, that Dobbins was open for a lot. Um, you know his hands were a problem last year. I think if if you look back at just the totality of his season, it was like a twenty five percent drop rate, which is just horrible. Um, but as for the screen, uh, you know, potential of this all, Greg Roman, I think, is, is just a guy who doesn't see as much value in those screen passes as a lot of fans do and a lot of other offenses do. I mean, not to go all kind of analytical, you know, big-minded, but um, if you look at just the value of a screen pass, it's easily the, the worst efficiency rating for, for the type of, you know, passes that you can make compared to just the other ones that you hear about on any given Sunday. I know it's a very popular topic among among Ravens fans, but Greg Roman doesn't like throwing screen passes, and he didn't throw a lot of them in 2019 when they had one of the most efficient passing offenses, even though it obviously wasn't the most uh, prolific one. So I think that's just in his DNA not to throw a lot of screen passes, but that doesn't mean that Lamar himself can't do a better job of you know taking those checkdowns or, or throwing some of the swing passes that he didn't feel comfortable throwing last year or just didn't want to last year. It seems like for the Ravens, at least, their their roster questions are probably more about, you know, who is going to end up making the 53-man roster than it is, oh, we feel kind of questionable about this positional group, like who's going to be starting. I think the two places that maybe there still is some question as to who's going to end up being the starters are along the offensive line and with the edge rushers. I'll start with the offensive line. 
Are you under the impression that it will be Alejandro Villanueva filling in for Orlando Brown, or do you think that maybe this is more of an open competition between he and Tyree Phillips than we might be led to believe? I think I'd probably put the, the money on, on Villanueva. I think he, he looked good in offseason workouts. Uh, Tyree Phillips did not look good during last season, and he didn't get a whole lot of reps at right tackle in minicamp and in OTAs. And it might also be a situation where the Ravens staff is trying to decide whether, you know, how much of a shot to give him at left guard because obviously the plan for him entering his rookie year and one he lived up to was to be a potential starter at guard. And he did that at right guard and got hurt and, you know, ultimately didn't end up going back to that position. So the Ravens staff, I think, has a decision to make there, which is with where to kind of, you know, hedge their bets with, with, with Phillips. But I think Villanueva, given his track record, even though, he is making the switch from left tackle to right tackle, which is not an easy switch. I, I think you just have to give the uh, you know the tip of the cap to him right now in the race. The other spot on the offensive line that I think still is a bit in flux is the left guard spot. Um, I think that it seems conventional wisdom is that that rookie Ben Cleveland might get first crack at the position. I know that he hasn't quite passed his conditioning test yet, but are you? I mean, if you're going to handicap it, would you say Cleveland is the odds-on favorite there as well? I think I'm a little bit more skeptical of that. Just, um, you know, obviously every player is their own player. They have their own strengths and weaknesses. But if you were to go back and look at the track record, especially recently of third-round guards, you know, doing enough in the NFL to be a starter, there's not a lot of evidence there. Um, You know, third-round guys are usually there for a reason. Uh, I think someone on The Athletic did just kind of analysis of how well – third-round guards have done in, in year one, and it's not that great. I know a lot of them were, uh, for the most part, below-average pass blockers. They were below-average front blockers. Um, maybe Ben Cleveland is the exception. We've, we've seen you know later-round guys come in and do really, really good jobs, but I think it's probably more likely that you know one of the, the returning veterans, maybe a Ben Powers, maybe a Tyree Phillips, maybe someone else, maybe Ben Bredesen comes out of nowhere and gets the job, but um, it could be that Ben Cleveland is the favorite right now, but to come in and expect him to do a whole lot as a starter, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think would be you know maybe asking a little bit too much of him. Uh, with Ronnie Stanley, now we know he was placed on the physically under, unable to perform list, and that was something that was expected to happen. Is he on track though to be ready for Week One, or is this something that's still in a wait and see uh, scenario? It's it's tough to say. Um, we, we haven't heard a whole lot about him. Uh, you know, John Harbaugh was optimistic that he would be ready to, you know, he'd be good to go early in training camp. I haven't seen a whole lot on social media. I haven't heard a whole lot of chatter about where he is. You know, I listened to the, the Ravens.com interview with Nick Boyle yesterday, and he said that he's been working out with Ryan Stanley you know, pretty much every day during the offseason. So obviously he's putting in the work, but uh, he had a serious ankle injury. And, you know, for a guy that big, that's a point in the body where you know, gravity is just not doing any, doing you any favors if you're a 300 pound guy. So I think the Ravens are gonna are gonna take their time with him. But you know it'll have been gosh what 10 11 months since that injury, and an ankle injury I don't think is as bad as, as in the injury typically. Uh, but every guy's body is different. Everybody responds to adversity differently. So I, I think the Ravens can be confident that he'll be ready for Week One. But it might be a Marshall Yonder situation from a couple of years ago, where we just don't see him in the preseason, and you just you know put your hands together and hope that he is ready to go 
uh, to, to take on the, the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Um, I would say, I mean, maybe, I think, obviously, given the Ravens fans' infatuation with the wide receiver position, some might say Rashad Bateman, but I think personally, the player that I'm most intrigued to see take the football field is the second first-round pick they had, Adafi Owe. Um, people make a lot about the fact that he had zero sacks in his final season at Penn State, but we also heard that the Ravens were very impressed with his ability to drop back in coverage and that there are a lot of scouts that really liked his ability to set the edge. The Ravens have hesitated to let rookies and rookie edge rushers take the field and play in a three-down capacity in their time as a franchise. Do you think a, that Owe is the favorite to start across from Tyus Bowser, or do you think that maybe Jalen Ferguson might be getting the first look there? Well, I think McPhee is probably the the guy right there okay. that, that they that they like the most. Uh, I mean, if you go back and look at what he did last year. Not a huge sack totals, but he really was a, a great run, run stuffer, set the edge tremendously well. Uh, but but with Owe, I think his closest comparison at this point is probably McPhee, just because he's not maybe you know the most refined pass rusher. Uh, but you know you go back and listen to what Wink Martindale told season ticket holders uh, back in May. You know he said that Owe uh, played the run on first and second down better than any outside linebacker he's seen in a long time. Uh, you know so. I imagine he's probably talking just about NFL draft prospects, but still, that's a huge compliment. And if the Ravens you know, continue to be all about stuffing the run on those early downs, um, but also having someone who's maybe a little bit more dynamic as a pass rusher, you know, we could be talking about Owe as a potential week one starter, depending on, on how well he acclimates to the NFL, you know, how McPhee looks as you know a 32-year-old outside linebacker. So um, maybe someone like Jalen Ferguson comes in and, and takes – those reins, but I think just given what Owe offers as a run defender and his athletic potential in general, I think it's probably him and McPhee who are you know battling for that weak side job. It seems like the Ravens are putting a lot of stock in the guys they already have in-house for this pass rush. Now, look, the secondary is elite, but it's only as elite as your pass rush, in my opinion. Um there's still guys out there like Justin Houston and Olivier Vernon. We just saw Melvin Ingram sign with the Steelers for like $4 million. Are you surprised that the Ravens haven't addressed their pass rush more thoroughly to this point of the offseason? Uh, yes and no. I think it's probably the weakest group of outside linebackers they've had in a while, but I think there's some optimism in the building that maybe what you lose on the edge you can make up for inside. You know, we all saw just how strong Justin Matabike came on toward the end of last year. We know what a hopefully healthy Calais Campbell can do. Uh, you know, Derek Wolf is just, I think, two years removed from like a seven-and-a-half sack season, something like that. So it is a, a total team effort up front. Um, and there's obviously a lot of hope for what someone like Jalen Ferguson could be. Uh, the Ravens, you know, spent a lot of time blowing him up uh, this offseason, just, you know, talking him up as a potential impact guy. We don't know what Adolfo Owe could be, but he might just be the best defender from this draft class. You know, Tyus Bowser is obviously maybe the NFL's best coverage linebacker, um, and I think he's got the athletic potential to be a good pass rusher. And then you just trust in Wink Martindale to, to be the guy to put the defense in, in advantageous situations and have you know free rushers come at the quarterback and just cause chaos. I mean, he's a guy who's, who's not afraid to send the blitz. Um, and he has the trust in the secondary to hold up long enough for those guys to get home. So I think we'll know probably pretty early in camp, maybe after the first or second preseason, just how bad or good 
this pass rush looks. And if it's bad, then you know you got to trust in Eric Costa uh, to go out and make a move. And you just, I guess, if you're a Ravens fan, you hope that someone is still in the market there. Um, I think one of them, not underreported, but maybe not talked about as much as far as the Ravens roster is concerned, is in 2019 when Lamar Jackson took the league by storm. You saw the Ravens utilize three tight end sets roughly like 40% of the time. Last year, they didn't exactly have the personnel to allow them to do that as much. And this past offseason, they didn't add anybody that would have been an eye-opening, obvious answer to solve that problem. I know that there are some folks who think that Josh Oliver has impressed and that maybe he could be the one to fill that role. Are you of the opinion that they believe in the guys they have enough where they're comfortable doing that? Or do you think that maybe last year was the last time that they put the emphasis on the three tight end sets the way we saw in 2019? Uh, I think they'll, I think they'll go to it sparingly. Uh, I think that they were a lot more comfortable and they, they ran a lot more two tight end sets than they did three tight end sets. I, I don't recall. I mean, unless you count Patrick Ricard as, as a tight end, then I guess that that would qualify. But I think we saw with Ricard's evolution last year, he basically is a kind of quasi tight end, just, you know, lining up in the backfield and, and taking people on and trying to take their heads off. So I think when you have Andrews, who's become a really good blocker, when you have Nick Boyle, who, you know, when he's healthy, is a tremendous blocker. Obviously, Ricard can do a lot of stuff, um, you know, catching passes in the flat. Maybe Ben Mason uh, comes along and, and offers more of a tight end than, than he showed at Michigan. But I, I think right now, what the Ravens need is another dynamic ish wide receiver target at that tight end position. I think you're right that it's probably Oliver just because he's a guy who was a you know third round pick a couple of years ago, has that athletic pedigree, uh, just hasn't been able to, to be healthy. I mean, he hasn't made it through a training camp yet without getting injured. Um, so that's going to be the big, the big issue for him. And the Ravens, like they do with outside linebacker, they like to rotate those guys at tight end, probably aren't going to ask Mark Andrews to play more than like 60, 70% of the snaps. So they do need someone on the field pretty much at all times who's a, a you know, a middle of the field threat, not just a lumbering guy. Uh, so that's why I think probably Josh Oliver is the guy there, even if he isn't, you know, anywhere close to maybe someone like, uh, you know, Hayden Hurst was a couple of years ago. Is Nick Boyle, after suffering that broken leg against the Patriots, how has his recovery come along? Is he back to 100%? Does he have limitations to this point? You know, he, he told uh, the Ravens.com folks, uh, I guess yesterday or whenever the interview was done, that uh, he feels good. Um, he's been able to run. He's been able to cut. Uh, but obviously with him you know, going on the, uh, the, the pup list or the NFI list, uh, he's still not cleared to practice yet. The Ravens said that they would take their time with some of those guys who are recovering from those season-ending knee injuries, and obviously Boyle is one of them. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy who is a pretty smash-mouth player, and I think the Ravens are going to be patient with him. They're going to take their time, make sure that he's he's up to speed. But, you know, it was it was good that he was comfortable enough to be out there with the Ravens at mandatory minicamp, even though he wasn't practicing. Um, you know, it, it was a serious injury for him. He, he, he said that uh, he was in the hospital for seven days after he got that operation just because the pain was so, so much. But he's an extremely hard worker, and, um, you know, even if he isn't, 100% by week one, I think the Ravens have enough talent and enough versatility on offense to, to you know, kind of tie themselves over until he's really fully good to go. 
Are there anybody that maybe Ravens fans have grown used to having on the roster who could be perhaps on the bubble as the 53-man? And obviously it's early to say training camp has not happened yet, no preseason action. But when you look at the way that the numbers break down positionally, who are some guys that you think have a lot to prove this training camp? I think it's probably more so on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I know the Ravens staff, in particular John Harbaugh, loves someone like Anthony Levine Sr., co-cap, of course. Mm Mm-hmm. But last year was a struggle for him. You know, he had that core injury, I think, that, that really limited him throughout the year. Uh, the Ravens have a couple of really good young special teams players, especially, you know, in that linebacker position. Um, so even though, you know, Levine doesn't have a huge cap hit, uh, if he doesn't offer more than someone else on special teams and he can't get onto the field as like a sixth defensive back, then that be a, might be a situation where the Ravens just have to cut ways with him because they're not going to be able to keep him on the practice squad. Um, in, the, in the secondary, also, I think Anthony Averitt could potentially be on the bubble. Um, obviously, he's a guy who had that, uh, you know, was a fourth-round pick coming out of the draft uh, three or four years ago, but just hasn't really put it all together. He's got great speed, he, he can, but he hasn't really helped out on special teams a whole lot. And that group is just so deep. I mean, Khalil Dorsey stood out in, in minicamp. We have Brandon Stevens coming on potentially strong. And, you know, if the best that Anthony Averick could do is the fifth cornerback, is that even a position that he wants, mm-hmm. you know, with this being his contract year? So I, I'm not saying that the Ravens will trade him or anything. I just I do wonder if he'll realize that maybe the, the pastures are, are, you know, looking greener somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all I have for you. Do you have one more, Paul? Yeah, I do. I do have one more question. You you were mentioning the secondary and Anthony Averitt and and Anthony Levine Sr. Tavon Young has had season-ending injuries each of the last two seasons. Um, at this point, I don't know that they can really depend on him to stay on the field just based on what's happened in his career to this point. They go out and in the fifth round, they draft a guy like Sean Wade, who was potentially a first-round pick, but then really struggled when he moved from slot to, to the outside corner. Is this a right. guy who you think could be really important to this team and could have a role, maybe as a guy who could spell Tavon Young to keep him healthy? Um, it's tough to say. Uh, he didn't totally catch my eye uh, in you know during offseason workouts, but a lot of times if you're a cornerback, you're not really catching anyone's eye unless you're making plays on the ball. Because if you're if you're not being targeted, you know the guy might be open, the guy might not be. So we'll see. But uh, you know he was an incredible stud, like you mentioned, as a slot cornerback at Ohio State. I don't know if the Ravens are in a position where. You just you know only play Tavon Young like 75, 50% of his normal snap share. I think Wick Martindale asks a lot of his cornerbacks in terms of playing time, and he's not really comfortable with you know kind of shuffling guys in and out. He wants them on the field for, for as long as possible, which is a, a pretty interesting contrast to what he does on the defensive line and at, at outside linebacker. So, um, you know, it's going to be a really, really important training camp for, for Tavon. I mean, he tore his left ACL in 2017. Uh, obviously, he had the back injury in 2019, and then he tore his left ACL again last year. So if you look at guys just in, in sports in general who, who tear their ACL, their same ACL twice, it's not pretty. I mean, Jabari Parker came back and had a, a you know a couple productive seasons, but his effectiveness has, has really waned. and mm-hmm. He's only 26 years old. And if you look at Sam Bradford, two ACL tears in the same knee. Obviously, was never a great quarterback to start with, but his career really started to accelerate downhill quickly after that. So, um, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's body is different. Tavon Young's uh, young, uh, you know, he's lighter than those guys, which might help him 
longevity-wise, but uh, you know the NFL is an unforgiving place, and it really grinds down its most its most vulnerable. So I hope Tavon can stay healthy, but if I'm the Ravens, I'm not counting on anything right now. He is Jonas Schaefer. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. That's S-H-A-F-F-E-R. Are you on Instagram? Anywhere people can give you a follow, Jonas? <laughs> no. I, I, uh, I follow other people, but I, I'm not much for myself. Fair enough. I don't blame you. Um, appreciate you taking the time for us, man. Anything we should be keeping our eyes out for you from the sun anytime soon? Yeah, just just uh, stay plugged in. We're going to have a bunch of great content coming up with, with training camp, of course, Everyone else will, too. So, uh, you know, if, if you're a Ravens fan, this is a, a good time to, to, to be a reader. Well, appreciate you taking the time for us, as always, man. Look forward to catching up soon as the season nears, all right? Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. There he goes. Jonas Schaefer, Baltimore Ravens beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. Some good insight there as far as the recovery of some players and maybe how the roster could be breaking down. I'm not quite sure how I did this. We still have two breaks to take, so I'm going to do a quick read. we get to our second one here before we do Kyle in the kitchen on the other side. The show is brought to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio by C3 American Exteriors. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. We will be right back. Glenn Clark Radio, Kyle Ottenheimer, Paul Valley. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. We take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. We're raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at SportsSocialMD.com. That's SportsSocialMD.com. Here it Watch out! For the first time, the PGA Tours FedEx Cup Playoffs is coming to Maryland. The top 70 players in the world converge on Kays Valley Golf Club for the 2021 BMW Championship, August 24th through 29th, 2021. Baltimore's iconic and challenging course provides the perfect test as the playoffs heat up. Tickets are now available. Don't miss your chance to watch the drama unfold. Visit BMWChampionship.com today. Hey everybody, this is Chris Ruling from Great Eights Memorabilia, and we want to invite you out to Jimmy's Famous Seafood on Sunday, July 25th. We will be there for the Casey Cares Return to Training Camp Crab Feast with Baltimore Raven linebacker Tyus Bowser. Tickets are on sale now at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's Great, the number eight, letter S, Memorabilia.com. And remember, you always have a chance to be great. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil, where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Hi, it's Glenn Clark for Window Nation. When it comes to cost and quality, Window Nation has you covered, saving you thousands more on your windows compared to national brands while providing the same, if not better, quality. Want detail? Window Nation measures each window three times to ensure proper fit, and after they install your new windows, they leave your home cleaner than it was before. Get 50% off every style window, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Thomas Kenzora profiles University of Maryland quarterback Talia Tongavailoa and his chance to deliver the Terps to Big Ten prominence this year. Also inside, Bo Smolka breaks down the Ravens' offensive line, a look at Coppin State's Olympic connection, and much more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. You are out. You are listening to Glenn Clark Radio Radio at GlennClarkRadio.com. We are back, Glenn Clark Radio, from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Today's show is also brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Without further ado... It's time for Kyle in the Kitchen. Kyle in the Kitchen is taped in front of a live studio audience. Thank you to Jeremy, as always, for making me feel uncomfortable. Um, I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable. Indeed, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm going to do a quick one here, as I, like I said, still have a break to take. I made burgers this week. Uh, had some ground beef in my freezer, decided to thaw it and uh, get to it a little bit, as I know I need to do something for this segment. And i got to say, they were pretty tasty. They were pretty tasty. My method here, I had 85-15 uh, beef to fat ratio. You want 80-20 for the perfect burger. I acknowledge that, but I had what I had. I'm not going to go ahead and add more fat to it. I didn't have it on hand. So I took the ground beef, obviously, put it in a bowl. I minced up some red onion very finely. I don't want it too chunky, right? You want to have it so it's almost imperceptible in the actual burger itself. Took about half an onion and cut that up. Uh, I took about two or three cloves of garlic, chopped that up, added it in there as well, along with some salt, some pepper, and a good deal of Worcestershire sauce. I don't know how to say it, but I couldn't spell it either. We call it Worcestershire. Yeah, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce. Whatever. I don't know what it is. You know what it is, though. Um, Threw that in there, mixed it all up nice and good. I actually tried molding the burgers for the first time instead of like doing the whole hand-formed patty because, you know, I heard that works. I didn't have like an actual burger mold on hand, so what I did was I used a a smaller Chinese food container. You know how you like repurpose those as Tupperware. I used one of those. Ended up working quite well, and they were each half pound patties. So I pushed them down in there, got it all molded. I had to like take a knife around the edge so I can get it out. Plopped it back on some parchment paper. Put them in the fridge for about 30 minutes to help the mold, you know, set. After that. I did the requisite cooking method. I have like a stove that has a middle portion that's like a griddle, which is nice. So I turned the griddle on, used that for the first time. Uh, Cooked the burgers. I got to say the one flaw of the burger itself was I did not get the medium rare the way I want it. People talk about how you're supposed to like put an indent in the burger, like press your thumb in there, and then when that fills up with juice, that's your time to flip it, and that's how you get a perfect medium rare. I do that always. Never fills up. Never once have I seen it fill up, and so I'm left with a medium burger 
because I missed the, the window for flipping it properly. <laughs> but whatever. I did that, flipped it, cooked it, set them aside, had my brioche bun. I uh, slathered a little bit, made a little bit of a spicy mayonnaise for it. I put some mayo. I put a little bit of hot sauce, a nice chipotle hot sauce in there, mixed it all up, threw some garlic powder in there. I uh, dressed the bottom of the toasted bun with that. I put some spicy pickles on top of that. Meanwhile, of course, I put cheese on the burgers while they cooked. I'm not a sociopath. I put the burger back on top of the pickles. Next, I had some red onion that I did not put in the burger. I cut some slices of that, threw that on there. I had a beautiful heirloom tomato from the farmer's market. I took a healthy slice of that and threw that on there as well. And I topped it off with some hot pepper relish, similarly bought from the farmer's market. That is a real seasoned up burger, man. That's and a I lot. threw it on all together. You can see a picture of said beauty right there. All right. And I got to say, it was quite tasty. It was a delicious burger. I enjoyed it immensely. It was a little sloppy because I didn't take the, uh, I didn't de-seed the tomato slices. So there was some tomato juices waiting to come out that uh, made it so that the eating process was maybe a bit messier than some people might like. But any good burger is going to be a little messy. Let's be right. honest with ourselves. I would give it a 78 out of 100 only because I did not cook it to a perfect medium rare. Uh, I could have also made the mayonnaise a little spicier, but next time, you know, live and learn. All things considered, it was delicious. I had another one on Wednesday night at the leftovers and all didn't, didn't put the pickles on that one, but otherwise it was more or less the same burger. And uh, I would do it again. I would make the same burger again. I would make it for my friends, and I imagine they would tell me that it tasted delicious. But I do need to perfect the medium rare method when it comes to hamburgers. That's one thing that I am falling short in. So I apologize to all of our Stickler listeners, John and Little Rock and Nick Kelly. I have fallen short in that capacity, but otherwise I think this is a worthy burger. Uh, my mom okay. just chimed in. She's tuning in nice. to GCR right now. She said, tell Kyle all he needs to do is use a packet of Lipton's onion soup mix with a pound of ground beef and mix it all together, and it's the perfect seasoned burger. Interesting. Interesting. Onion, onion dip mix? Uh, Lipton's onion soup mix. Onion soup mix. I'm a With big a fan of French milk. onion soup. It's delicious. All so that may- maybe your bu- burger would just taste like that. Interesting. I will give that a try, Paul's mom. I appreciate <laughs> the tip. That is a, something that I had not considered. I know some people put like ranch seasoning in certain things. I don't know. I don't not think of like a prepackaged seasoning mixture, but that is an interesting concept. I'm not going to lie. I might have to adopt that the next time that I make burgers in my house. All right. That was Kyle in the Kitchen. Kyle in the Kitchen was also brought to you by Window Nation. Right now, get 50% off all styles of windows. Plus, put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. Just one more break to take. On the other side, we will do our requisite wind-down portion of the show, tidbit of the day, totally tubular. It is Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle Ottenheimer and Paul Valley will be right back. Glory Days Grill's popular summer seasonal menu is back with favorites like their very berry salad and smoky thigh wings. It also features the all-new shrimp po' boy, crispy fried shrimp on a freshly baked sub roll with lettuce, tomato, and a house-made spicy remoulade. Other delicious items include a 12-ounce New York strip steak, the barbecue chicken bowl, barbecue ribs, and smoky thigh wings combo platter, zucchini fries, and a key lime pie. All of these meals pair well with Sam Adams' summer ale or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. 
Glory Days Grill is hiring all positions. Want to work for a great family-oriented company known for their commitment to the community? Stop into one of their restaurants and speak with a manager. Management opportunities are available. The Olympics start soon. Stop in and watch the games at Glory Days Grill. Every child who dines at one of their restaurants during the Olympic Games will receive a gold medal. Find out more by going to glorydaysgrill.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Baseball is back in full in 2021, and the bat around has got you covered from bell to bell. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and you can catch me along with my co-host, Zach Goodman, every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 on the bat around right here at Press Box Sports. We'll break down every win, every loss, and everything in between, plus tell you who we take to rake each week as the Orioles look to get back in the hunt and bring competitive baseball back to Baltimore. Catch us at PressBoxOnline.com slash TheBatAround or at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the bat around every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 right here at Press Box sports it takes time to get rich flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of colombia and brazil to royal farms but less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world because royal farms new swiss made coffee machines grind those rich flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time it's why royal farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world real fresh real fast royal farms Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. We are back, Glenn Clark Radio from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio as we wind down for this Friday edition, the final edition of Glenn Clarkless Radio for some time. I don't know when Glenn will take a vacation next. If this is any sign, he takes like one vacation every decade. So he had it. He had his fun. No more for you, Glenn. That's it. Uh, tidbit of the day is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia. We said it before, but we will see you Sunday, July 25th at Jimmy's Famous Seafood for the return to training camp feast, Crab Feast, featuring Tyus Bowser and benefiting Casey Cares. Get your tickets now by going to GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. Baseball, not exactly been great to the Orioles this year, but... There's certainly been impressive things around the league, perhaps none more so than Shohei Otani. I say perhaps, I'm just going to say that definitively. There's been nothing more impressive than Shohei Otani oh, in baseball and maybe in all of sports. 
He's been consistent as hell, too. He obviously started off hot, stayed hot, and still hot. He is one of two players since June 27th with 15 extra base hits, joined by Red Sox hitter Kiki Kike Hernandez. Also, J.D. Martinez has 14, and Reese Hoskins has 13 to his name. Of course, yesterday... Former Oriole Nelson Cruz was a headline in the game of baseball as he was traded from Minnesota to Tampa Bay. Once upon a time, the Orioles didn't want to give him any money because they didn't think he'd be good for that much longer. Well, uh, he's That's been... That's not entirely true. It was kind of true about Nick Marcakis And Cruz got a... They didn't want to give him four years, That's if I remember correctly. Was, yeah. They were willing to give him three years, but not four years. And seven years later... He's still one of the best power hitters in all of baseball. Since he joined the Twins in 2019, which was five years after the Orioles didn't want to give him four (laughs) years, Cruz is one of four players with at least 75 home runs and 190 RBIs. He is joined by home run champ Pete Alonzo, Eugenio Suarez, and Matt Olson as the only in that category. But here in Baltimore, we do have Cedric Mullins, and that is a beautiful thing. Mullins, to his credit, is, this is your trivia portion of the game, Paul, Mullins is one of six hitters this season with at least 15 home runs, 10 stolen bases, and an on-base percentage of 350 or higher. Can you name the other five? Fernando Tatis Jr. Indeed, Tatis Jr. is on the list. Hmm. I want to say Teoscar Hernandez. Is he one of them? It is not Teoscar Hernandez. Did Acuna do that before he got hurt? Acuna is on the list. It's a shame okay. he is hurt. Obviously, baseball's better with Ronald Acuna playing, but he is on this list despite missing in the last so two weeks or so. 15 home runs and 10 stolen bases. And an on base percentage of 350 or higher. Bo Bichette? Not Bo Bichette. None of the players on this list are teammates, so that'll help narrow down slightly. None of the players on this list are teammates. So you can eliminate the Padres, Braves, and Orioles from consideration. All right. Um, What's the guy's name in Miami, their leadoff? Jazz Chisholm. Not Jazz Chisholm. I don't think he has 15 homers. Yeah, you're probably right. Oh, man. So I got Acuna, I got Ted. Those are the obvious guys. Those are the guys There's anybody There's one more, I would say, relatively obvious one. He oh, it's Shohei. Shohei Otani. On Shohei, the that, he has like 12 steals. I he forgot does. about that. He is incredible. Um, so there's two more. And one of them, I would say, the one of the two remaining. There's one genuine surprise. There's one that I don't think you will be guessing correctly. The other one is thought of as he's normally a first-round pick in fantasy baseball. We're close to it. Not Bryce Harper. Not Bryce Harper. Hmm. Which leads me, the way you said that leads me to believe that it's a Philadelphia Philly, but I don't think there's anybody else on their on that team that's a first round pick in Not fantasy a baseball. Philly, but there is a former connection to Bryce Harper. Juan Soto? Not Juan Soto. Trey Turner. It's Trey Turner. Trey Turner 100%. is indeed. Trey Turner is like the most undervalued player in all of baseball. I can't believe he didn't pop, in my, pop into my head within my first three guesses. Just goes to show undervalued he is. He is yeah. underrated, and indeed, he is one of the best players in the league this year. And he, the he, one player remaining, um, I will say, is in the AL Central. In the AL Central, he's got 15 homers and 10 steals. And an on-base percentage north of 350. Perhaps the biggest surprise team of the year. 
So he probably plays for the Tigers? He does. What's that guy's name? He was a Rule 5 pick. Is not uh, Akil Badu. No. It's not Jonathan Scope, is it? Not Jonathan Scope. Man, I really need to know more about the Tigers roster. I don't think I know the Tigers roster enough to be able to answer this one. You give up? I I give up. Wait, 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 hold on. Let me think. Let me think. No, I give up. The only person I would think of is Nico Goodrum. He's not that good. It is not Nico Goodrum. It is outfielder Robbie Grossman. Robbie Gro- oh, you're right. I no, I would have you could have had me guess for 10 straight days and I never would have gotten Robbie Grossman. He is one of six players, the only of them who are not or at least Cedric Mullins is to us superstars in baseball currently, but he's putting together quite the 2021 campaign. So he's deserving of mention in this group. That was Tidbit. Totally Tubular is brought to you by Toyota. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. The Orioles are back in action for the Battle of the Beltway tonight, kicking off at 7 on both Masson and Masson 2. You could choose whether you want the Orioles or Nationals broadcast. I think it's a pretty easy choice for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, Patrick Corbin and Jorge Lopez will take the mound in this one on MLB Network. Diamondbacks Cubs on at 2 o'clock. Yankees Red Sox at 7. The opening ceremonies for the Olympics happened at 7 a.m. this morning, if you were up watching that, but they will re-air tonight at 7.30 on NBC. Uh, it's 9 o'clock a.m. Coverage started for men's volleyball with USA and France squaring off. I believe USA Network at 7.30 tonight has the USA Netherlands Beach Volleyball, uh, and they will be re-airing the coverage of from this morning at 8.30. Obviously, it's a 13-hour difference, so if you want to catch it live, you better wake up early. Um, on the Olympic Channel, there's Olympics Tennis at 10 o'clock. NBC Sports Network at midnight tonight has USA and Japan Water Polo at 1 a.m. They have USA and Mexico Softball. Maybe that's at 2 o'clock. That's USA and Mexico Softball. And then tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., there's the U.S. Women's National Team against New Zealand in soccer. Uh, ESPN2 has the NHL draft tonight at 8. ESPN has the – that's incredible. ESPN2 has, ESPN has the NHL draft. ESPN has the basketball tournament at 7, who takes precedent over the draft, evidently. But what do I know about the NHL draft? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Golf Channel, PGA 3M Open Round 2 is at 2.30 today. Fox, WWE SmackDown at 8. That does it for sports tonight. Non-sports, uh, Showtime, that's not a thing. I lied. HBO has a documentary on Woodstock 99. This is the first of their music box documentary series that Bill Simmons is putting together. Uh, it's called Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Range. Uh, Jimmy Fallon has Matt Damon and Jason Sudeikis, as that is probably the headliner for non-sports. Season 2 of Ted Lasso, streaming now on Apple TV. I know a lot of folks were excited for that, myself included. Tomorrow, as far as sports are concerned, Orioles Nationals at 6.30, uh, two aces taking the mound, Max Scherzer against Spencer Watkins. MLB Network, Diamondbacks-Cubs at 2, Athletics-Mariners at 10. 
Fox Sports 1 in the afternoon at 4 o'clock with Yankees Red Sox, Rays Indians later on at 7, and then some CONCACAF Gold Cup action in Mexico and Honduras at 10 o'clock. Olympic coverage tomorrow night at 8 includes swimming, uh, USA-Argentina women's volleyball after midnight, and then uh, USA and France men's basketball tomorrow morning after 8 a.m., uh, more Olympic coverage on CNBC. I'm not going to go through all of it. There's Olympics on nearly every channel. That's Turner product or that has NBC and the name of it, USA and all that. So check out glennclarkradio.com to see the full breakdown of that. Uh, the basketball tournament continues on ESPN and ESPN two tomorrow as well. On Sunday, Masson and Masson two again, will have nationals and Orioles. John Lester will take the mound for the nationals. The Orioles starter is yet to be announced. We'll see. MLB Network, Rockies, Dodgers at 4, and then TBS has Yankees, Red Sox at 1. As I mentioned, Olympics all over, NBC, USA, NBC Sports Network, CNBC. The Olympics are on, guys. It's pretty much on all day. If you want to watch it, just check one of those channels out. Uh, On non-sports on Sunday, you've got The White Lotus on HBO at 9, 100 Foot Wave at 10. I don't know what they really are, but they're shows. Showtime has The End at 8, The Shy at 9, Black Monday at 9.55, Flatbush Misdemeanors at 10.30, Jesus and Miro at 11, Stars, Power, Book 3, if you're into that, at 8 o'clock, and stuff and things. Just check it all out, glennclarkradio.com. That about does it for today's show. It was also brought to you by the BMW Championship. August 26th through 29th, the PGA Tour's top 70 golfers are coming to Baltimore to compete in the 2021 BMW Championship at Caves Valley Golf Club. Secure your tickets at bmwchampionship.com. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to our guests this morning, uh, J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. Aberdeen Ironbirds outfielder Hudson Haskin, as well as Baltimore Sun Ravens beat writer Jonas Schaefer. If you missed any of that, we'll get it all up in the Greatest Hits section of the Archives tab at glennclarkradio.com. Thank you to Paul for sitting in for Glenn or Stan or KZ, however you want to say it, but appreciate you being here and had a good time. Thank you to Intern Jack for your help throughout the course of today's show. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors and partners, U.S. Army, Glory Days Grill, Window Nation, Royal Farms, Chesapeake Employers Insurance, Exxon Mobil, KNS Automotive, C3 American Exteriors, Grade 8's Memorabilia, Sports and Social, MD, the BMW Championship, Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation, and your local Toyota dealers and buyatoyota.com. Everybody have a great weekend. Go Birds. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too.